Flyover Politic Podcast, the show for normal Americans. From this undisclosed bunker, here's your host, Tony Reed. And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 14th of May, year of our Lord, 2020. I'm going a day early. I have plenty of information to put out. Some good old school media bias stuff to try to get off the COVID. Um, a good This Is America. And uh, I think a pretty decent new social media nugget. So this will be a long podcast. Try to keep it down under um, three hours and 45 minutes like last time, which is a bit much. I apologize for that. It's a, quite a lengthy, bulky file, but it just worked out that way. It's it's like one of those tipping points where it's not enough to go to two podcasts, but it's too much for one podcast. So, done some editing on this. I have some great stuff that I got at the last minute that I'll be pushing over to the next. Um, had to swap out a whole bunch of segments as the day went on because we got hearings and we have all this just silliness that's going on. But I, up front... I uh, want to talk about the numbers. Uh, I I did for the first time eat in a restaurant yesterday. Um, we decided to go ahead and go to a barbecue joint. It's Mission Barbecue out at Evansville, Indiana, and they have a place down here in Clarksville. And we decided to sit down, and we brought in wipes and wiped our table down and. It's the only time we've ever been in public without masks, but, you know, we got out of the car, didn't bring our masks, because we were going to eat, but we, we decomped before we got out of there, and, and everything was six feet apart, and people were very cognizant of it. There was only one error I saw, somebody refilled their cup, we're not supposed to do that, they uh, came to my wife, but they didn't catch that guy, but the staff all was in masks and gloves, and, you know, we left, and... We felt pretty safe on it. The rest of the day we stayed, but it was the first time we went to four different locations with masks and gloves on. And I will say, the surprising thing, because of all the politics involved in it, uh, the majority of people I saw not wearing masks were African American or white millennial types that clearly did not look conservative. And they were walking around unprotected. That really surprised me. Uh, we went to a Michael's because my wife needed paint. We bought some stuff for our grandkids to build. I got these really cool hex bug robotics. They build these things and they put battery in it. And they actually build a robot, as I like to say, like uh, the guy from the Goldbergs, if you watch that show. Um, <clears throat> so I, I bought these kits so they could have something to do on this long, long summer break. And majority of people in there weren't wearing shit. They even sold them really cheap up front, 10-pack for like 20 bucks of um, polypropylene face masks, the good ones. <clears throat> but a lot of these young, white, liberal-looking girls just didn't do it. And we went to a Kroger, we went to a Rural King, and we went to lunch. And those are the people I didn't see. So 
Uh, I doubt that'll be covered. It, it is a huge thing because there's a lot of, um, as I hit it the first time, it's still the new culture war, wearing mask or not. And I'm just waiting for the point that I don't wear a mask and some liberal will walk up and say something to me. I have a scruffy beard. I wear a Pensacola hat and I probably look like a redneck. So I guarantee I'll get, why aren't you wearing a mask? It's not about you. And we got some stories today we'll cover on that. But overall, they say we have 1.4 million cases, 85,000 deaths that I don't believe at all. And we're at 350 in New York. They're still getting cases. 142. Thousand in New Jersey, eighty-five basically in Illinois, eighty thousand five hundred in Massachusetts. California's got seventy, almost seventy-three thousand. Pennsylvania, sixty-two. Michigan, forty-eight. Texas and Florida are forty-three and forty-two, um, thirty-five in Georgia, Connecticut, Maryland, Louisiana, Virginia, Ohio, Indiana, Colorado, Washington, Tennessee has sixteen thousand three hundred and seventy. We've only had forty deaths overall. By population, it's still just, it's pretty, it's pretty bad. Most of them, it's just, it's all East Coast. I mean, 1,400 per million deaths in New York. So, clearly, um, even though the media says Cuomo did an incredible job and he should be the president, uh... I, I I don't see it, my friends. I, I just don't see it at all. I don't think he did that great of a job. It, it, it clearly seems like he did a pretty fucking shitty job across the board. Um, but, you know, it's, it's our media. And he has that perfect little thing behind his name. It's called a D. And so you get the crazy stuff that, you know, we get in our media. Um, so the numbers, uh, they're going down, and I think most of the states that have done this slow reopen. Uh, my wife did get a haircut. <clears throat> she was the only person in the beauty parlor. They both wore masks and gloves. They decontaminated. I mean, it was done really responsibly in Tennessee, um, being that she was the only person in the room. So I, I think the states that are reopening and starting to try to save their economy. Sorry, i got to open a monster. Sorry for that on the tape. Um, <clears throat> I think we're doing it right. We're going to have te- – people are still going to get it. But I don't think it's as bad as Fauci keeps saying and, and the left because, once again, it's now a cudgel. That's all it is. It's not really about the virus saving lives or any of those things anymore. It's about a political cudgel because we're in an election year. So um, – how do I know that? Our first segment. It's so great. In the A block. Oh, and I got two new bumpers today. I'm going to play them. Might add some time, but I heard a couple songs. I go, you know, they make a great bump. So we're going to have two new bumpers, and we're going to do a music break. I haven't done one of those in a while. So uh, why don't I stop bumping my gums and get into it? Chuck Todd, uh, once again, he's one of those... Perfect journalist. It's all about journalism and blah, 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 blah. Well, they decided to do a quick little hit on AG Barr. And, and once again, it's all about the Flynn case. We're going to start the Flynn case. We're going to end with the Flynn case. And our This is America. Um, this is pretty bad. If it was a reverse on the political affiliation, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, and CBS would be covering this totally different. But they're not. 
they're doing the usual, like I always say, when, when a Democrat fucks up, it's politics. When a Republican fucks up, it is a stain on the Constitution. Well, Chuck Todd is a stain on journalism because he lied. He pushed fake news so bad, he had to apologize. Going to play the original soundbite? Well, I'm not going to play the original soundbite. I'll just play the soundbite with what he did and what Barr actually said. Uh, You brought up Bill Barr. Peggy Noonan, I want you to listen to this Bill Barr answer to a question about what will history say about this. Wait till you hear this answer. Take a listen. When history looks back on this decision, how do you think it will be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on on, (laughs) uh, who's writing the history. I was struck, Peggy, by the cynicism of the answer. It's a correct answer, but he's the attorney general. He didn't make the case that he was upholding the rule of law. He was almost admitting that, yeah, this is a this is a political job. When history looks back on this decision, how do you think it will be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on, on uh, who's writing the history. But I think a fair history would say it was a, it was a good decision because it. It upheld the rule of law. It helped. It, it upheld the standards of the Department of Justice, and it undid what was an injustice. Is it really too much to ask that the media report a quote accurately? Apparently, it is for NBC. A Meet the Press Sunday NBC political director and MTP host Chuck Todd cut short a clip of Attorney General William Barr defending the DOJ decision to dismiss a Michael Flynn case. After Todd edited the clip to take out crucial context, he absurdly proceeded to bash Barr's truncated comments with this panel, discussing an interview that Barr gave to CBS Catherine Heritage. Todd prompted his guests to attack Barr for supposedly admitting that he was being political when he dropped the charges against Michael Flynn. I won't read it out. Heritage, or Heritage, Catherine Heritage, She's getting bashed for all sorts of stuff because she's actually doing her job, and they don't like it. I can play the long clip. It went on for five minutes. And they would have gone away with it, but people caught it. Thankfully, the Daily Caller's Greg Price, who formerly interned for Newsbuster, caught the deceptive editing and showed the full clip. Greg Price. Today on MTP, Chuck Todd Wildly took context out of an answer. A.G. Bill Barr gave about his decision to drop the case in Flynn case. I cut Todd's segment along with Barr's full answer together. Look at how blatantly dishonest this is. And that's what I played. That tweet was noticed by DOJ spokesman Kerry Kupek, who tweeted at Meet the Press, even President Trump demand network fire Todd. Kerry Kupek, very disappointed by the deceptive editing commentary by Chuck Todd on Meet the Press. As A.G. Barr's CBS interview compared the two transcripts below, not only did A.G. make the case in the very, in the very answer Chuck says he didn't, he also did so multiple times throughout the interview. Meet the Press responded to him. You're correct. Earlier today, we inadvertently and inaccurately cut short a video clip of an interview with A.G. Barr before offering commentary and analysis. The remaining clip included important remarks from the Attorney General that we missed. We regret the error. As Monday morning, however, there hasn't been an official apology. Yes, there was, but Chuck Todd blames CBS for the way they played it. Go to break. I wanted to talk for a moment about something that occurred on Sunday's edition of Meet the Press. During the program, we had a soundbite from a CBS News interview with the Attorney General, Bill Barr. 
In the bite that we aired and commented on, Mr. Barr was asked how he thinks the history of his decision to end the prosecution of the former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn will be written. Mr. Barr answered, quote, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on who's writing the history. In the full version of the interview and transcript, he went on to say, but I think a fair history would say that it was a good decision because it held, upheld the rule of law. Now, we did not edit that out. That was not our edit. We didn't include it because we only saw the shorter of two clips that CBS did air. We should have looked at both and checked for a full transcript, a mistake that I wish we hadn't made and one that I wish I hadn't made. The second part of the Attorney General's answer would have put it in the proper context. And had I seen that part of the interview, I would not have framed the conversation the way I did. And I obviously am very sorry for that mistake. We strive to do better going forward. And we'll... I know some of you get bored by the long sound bites I play. But the reason I play them is just for that. If you just take a two-second soundbite and go, I like poop, somebody said. <laughs> if you take the somebody said off, I can play f- fucking dick dance all day long with people's quotes. And that's how the Democrats do it. When you go down the litany of lists that they have been doing since Trump became president... Well, we have the all Mexicans are murderers and rapists, totally taken out of context. Some good people, the the virus is a hoax. They, they've done it for every fucking thing he's ever uttered. And Chuck Todd didn't watch the interview because he's too busy being a Democrat. He doesn't want to watch an interview on A.G. Barr. He's a Republican fucking appointed attorney general. He's a piece of shit. He spends his time talking to Holder, because Holder's a good guy. And he dick-danced it, because he wanted to dick-dance it. That's the game. The game is, get liberals to watch my show. That's all Chuck Don thinks about anymore. That's why they don't have any conservatives on a show anymore. That's why he doesn't have any opposing views on any issues. The only time he disclosed, I'm not going to have an opposing view, was to make the political point that the science is settled on climate change. But he doesn't have opposing views on anything. And if a Republican does come on and he does an interview with Pompeo or anybody, it is an all-out assault on the administration. Whereas when he brought on people from the Obama era, he let them say whatever the fuck they want. He might say, well, that's not what some people say. And then let them defend themselves. Because that's what Chuck Todd does. He's destroyed it. I have an article I could read. Can he be more lazier? And the whole article, literally, it's like I wrote it. What the fuck happened to meet the press? Tim Russer was the standard bearer for journalism. I'm almost 100% sure Tim Russer was a Democrat, but you couldn't tell it on a show because he realized we had to have one place in the media where both sides got held accountable. It's the thing they say all the time about their brave firefighting and holding people in power accountable. But then they go out and they don't hold anybody accountable on the left. I had to backtrack there and do some editing, so if it sounds like a weird break from thought, it is. Because I was so excited for our next block, I forgot to plate the responses. So here's the responses. As you can expect, 
When Fox News does something wrong, it's an all-day affair on CBS, MSNBC, or CNN and MSNBC. When this happens, everybody, including John Oliver, comes out to defend. Nicknamed Mommy. Why have I done that? Well, because it's white, chilly, and wants me out of it as soon as possible. Happy Mother's Day, everyone! Now, obviously, many of us are still working from home. Even the Supreme Court is hearing arguments remotely. And this week, it seems they had a little mishap. What the FCC has said is that when the subject matter of the call ranges to the topic, then the call is transformed. Yeah. Someone apparently flushed a toilet during the oral argument. And look, I get that working from home is a bit of an adjustment, but there is simply no excuse for that level of unprofessional... God damn it, not now! Daddy's filming the show. No pooping on show days. We've talked about this. We only poop on Tuesdays. That is it. Tuesdays, we poop all day. And Fridays, we all draw cards. And if you pull the ace of spades, you can do a bonus poop. But we do not poop on show days. Ever! Sorry about that. Um, it was not a busy week for the White House, although, refreshingly, one of the biggest pieces of news was not actually coronavirus-related. 29 months after leaving this courthouse in shame, following pleading guilty to lying to the FBI, the Justice Department that convicted Michael Flynn now seeking to throw out the case. A crime cannot be established here. They did not have a basis for a counterintelligence investigation against Flynn at that stage. Does the fact remain that he lied? Well, you know, people sometimes plead to things uh, that turn out not to be crimes. Yeah. That's true. Sometimes people do plead to things that turn out not to be crimes, but sometimes they plead to things that are, like, I don't know, lying to the FBI, which is in a very real sense a fucking crime. It would have been different if Flynn had pled guilty to, let's say, constantly displaying the facial expression of someone whose lunch burrito isn't sitting quite right, or looking like G.I. Joe's emotionally withholding father. Those aren't crimes. Lying to the FBI, however, very much is, especially when you consider that what Flynn was lying about was his contacts with a Russian official, and the FBI was in the midst of a Russian counterintelligence investigation. And all of this is particularly worrying, because this was a case brought by Special Counsel Robert Mueller, and the whole point of having a Special Counsel investigate was to keep the process free from conflicts of interest. By dropping these charges, Barr could be setting a dangerous precedent for the president could not just pardon the subject of an investigation, but have his appointees invalidate the investigation itself. It's a truly unheard of thing for an attorney general to do. But Barr really doesn't seem to give a fuck. When history looks back on this decision, how do you think it will be written? Well, history is written by the winner, so it largely depends on, on <laughs> uh, who's writing the history. Wow. Now... If I were the president's lackey trying to twist the justice system to his will, I might have answered that simple question with something like, history will show this was the right decision, or it was a tough call, but justice was served. It takes a special kind of arrogance for the nation's top law enforcement official to say, actually, history's a lie we tell ourselves as we fall asleep at night. The world is nothing but formless chaos, and there is no truth but that which the strong impose upon the weak. You get it right. You definitely get it. They'll always defend liberal news. It's just what they do. So now I get to go to the more exciting. It was so hard to decide which to start with, but I bash Chuck Todd all the time. And this was just a perfect example of what he is. He's a liberal. He pushes the left, but he calls himself a straight-up journalist. While CBS, they decided to push another 
all Mexicans are murder and rapists because all of a sudden, China is a race? said many times that the U.S. is doing far better than any other country when it comes to testing. Yes. Why does that matter? Why is this a global competition to you if everyday Americans are still losing their lives and we're still seeing more cases every day? Well, they're losing their lives everywhere in the world. And maybe that's a question you should ask China. Don't ask me. Ask China that question, okay? When you ask them that question, you may get a very unusual answer. Yes, behind you, please. Sir, why are you saying that to me specifically? I'm telling you, I'm not saying it specifically to anybody. I'm saying it to anybody that would ask a nasty question That's like that. That's not a nasty Please question. go ahead. Why does it matter? Okay, uh, anybody else? Please go ahead in the back, please. I have, t- I have two questions. No, it's okay. But we'll you pointed to me. I have two questions, Mr. Next. President. Next, please. But you, did, you called on me. I did, and you didn't respond, and now I'm calling on... Sorry, I just want the to young lady in the back, please. I just want to let my colleague finish, okay. but can I ask you Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Appreciate Will it. You thank you very much. Mr. President, there does seem to be a double standard here, Mr. President, where members of your own staff can get tests frequently when they need it, but ordinary Americans cannot. So when will the rest of America have the same access that members of your own White House have to testing? And you know what? If we didn't get the tests, if we did no tests in the White House, you'd be up complaining. Many Americans want to return to their normal lives, but they're afraid to do so. How can you ensure Americans that it's safe to go to their own workplaces when the most secure workplace in the country, the White House, cannot contain the spread of the coronavirus that's infected some of your own staff? What do you say to Americans who say, how can you how can you keep me safe? How can you reopen the government if even the vice president is self-isolating? And why hasn't testing gotten up to, to the point where every American who wants a test can get a test? First, um, the, the money for this new testing support today comes from the CARE Act, CARES Act, which you signed into law for. 42 days ago. Did your delay in embracing widespread testing have anything to do with the desire to suppress the official number of U.S. cases and deaths as you try to reopen the country? No. And earlier today, you tweeted that Democrats are moving slowly for political purposes. Uh, why do you believe that their motive is politics rather than public safety? And how do you respond to criticism that you're also motivated by politics to try to grow the economy ahead of the election? Uh, don't sit in essentially every other, every third seat to separate people. And so there's a lot of precautions that we're taking in the federal government that are separate from testing, and those are the precautions that the agencies that Admiral Girard and I are working at every day are using to let us continue working. If people want to get tested, they get tested. We have the greatest capacity in the world, not even close. If people want to get tested, they get tested. But for the most part, they shouldn't want to get tested. There's no reason. They feel good. They don't have sniffles. They don't have sore throats. They don't have any problem. If they do feel there's something happening, they have the absolute uh, easy. In fact, uh, Ron DeSantis of Florida, the governor, doing a fantastic job in Florida. He said he's got a little bit of the opposite problem. He's got so much testing that people sit around and wait for people to come in, that they have a far a great overcapacity for testing. And there are numerous other states that have told me the same thing. That's, by the way, a good problem, not a bad problem. Okay? Okay. Uh, anybody else? Please, go ahead in the back, please. I have, t- I have two questions. No, it's okay. But we'll you go pointed here. to me. I have two questions, Mr. Next. President. Next, please. But you, did, you called on me. 
I did, and you didn't respond, and now I'm calling on Sorry, I just the young to, lady in the back, please. I just wanted to let my colleague finish, okay. but can I ask you Ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. So to make sure you understand what he said, reporter, why is this a global competition on testing to you if everyday Americans are still living their lives? Trump, that's a question you should ask China. Don't ask me. Sir, why are you saying that to me specifically? I'm not saying it specifically to anybody. Michael Solonik, once again, Wagey pushes back on Trump's bullshit and racism. Wagey, you're the best reporter in the business. We salute you. Watch Donald Trump melt down. Willie Stoker, because she's the one who asked the question. Gibbs, she asked, he answered. Another one, such a gotcha garbage question. Are you saying that to me? How about yes? Why? Because he asked. Hooli, another one, capitalist pig, because you asked the question, sir, why are you replying directly to me for a question I just asked you? Get the fuck out of here with this shit. Did she try to turn this into a race thing? That reporter should have had her press pass yanked. She's the one who lied about someone calling it the Kung Flu to her. To be fair, we don't have conclusive proof that she lied about the now infamous Kung Flu incident. This is the article. But almost two months after it supposedly happened, she has yet to reveal which White House official racially wounded her. Unsurprisingly, Weijia Wang Jang's effort appeared to have worked. Brian Seltzer, Trump telling Weijia to ask China fits in a pattern. The first news conference of his presidency when April Ryan asked about the Congressional Black Caucus, do you want to set up the meeting? Are they friends of yours? Which would be just a, a question, but oh, that's racial. Joe Concha. Trump also answered a similar way to question regarding China from a reporter not of Asian descent. president has been critical of China in press briefing, regardless of who asked the question. But when reflexively pushing a narrative, context becomes inconvenient. Um, Steve Guest. Earlier in this presser, Steve Holland asked about Chinese hackers stealing vaccine research. What else is new with China? What else is new? Tell me. President Trump's opponents are inventing something out of nothing. At the risk of sounding like a broken record, we'll say it again. Donald Trump offers up plenty of reasons for legitimate criticism. The media constantly attempts to manufacture outrage or wholly unnecessary, but they literally can't help themselves. Stephen Chung, as an Asian American, I feel comfortable saying this among the dumbest CNN chirons of all time, which is really saying something. Greg Gutfeld, an analogy... Bob swears at a rude driver often. Then he swears that a rude driver's not white. CNN says, aha, Bob's a racist. They're grift. Ignore the colorblind behavior and selectively pick an instance that enables a smear. CNN must know they're doing this. They are trash. Brian Seltzer, if you can send me several other examples of the president saying the word as China twice in response to a single question, then your analogy holds up. Until then, it doesn't. LOL. Journalism, y'all, Cutfield said. Then he came came back. That's your defense? That's all Trump's reference to China dealing for trade to fentanyl to corona, which goes back years publicly, must conform to your des- uh, your desperate specification, so it must be twice. Do you realize how hilarious this is? Go home and take a bath. Here's CNN talking about it. Please go ahead. Why does it matter? Okay, uh, anybody else? 
All right, then uh, he had originally called on uh, Caitlin Collins, our White House correspondent. She was polite enough and, and did the journalistic right thing. Let her colleague follow up, which is appropriate. I spent seven years as a White House correspondent. We often let uh, uh, other White House correspondents do a follow-up question to the president yeah. at these kinds of events, just out of simple courtesy to our colleagues. And that's what Caitlin Collins did. The president then wouldn't even uh, address a question that she was ready to pose. But let me get your thoughts on that exchange the president had with the CBS White House correspondent. Well, clearly the president was rattled, rattled enough to walk off because he didn't want to hear the questions from Caitlin Collins and Weijia Zhang. And uh, I think what we saw in that exchange with Weijia Zhang is something that has racial overtones. Uh, it is racist to look at an Asian-American White House correspondent and say, ask China. This isn't happening in a vacuum. This is part of a pattern of behavior from the president that goes back many years. So he's, he doesn't have the benefit of the doubt that someone might have if, for the first time ever in their life, they made a comment like that to a reporter. But the president has been rattled by Weijia Jiang's questions in the past. He has treated her and other female reporters differently in the past. And he's also had this pattern of reacting to minority journalists in a very specific and different way, Wolf. For example, a few years ago, President Trump said to April Ryan, a black correspondent, uh, to follow up with the uh, Congressional Black Caucus because she, he kind of just assumed they were friends. And here today he's saying to a Chinese-born journalist, ask China. Now, of course, he says he was directing it. He would, have, he would have said the same thing to anyone. But the pattern suggests otherwise. The pattern suggests a racial reaction to certain individuals in the press corps. And that's deeply, deeply... They, they are just trash, man. You're going to come up with stuff like that? Really? That's all I got. I mean, they have to deflect so bad off their God Cuomo... With all the deaths and fucking cases New York has, but he's the greatest governor ever. When you're spinning, you just don't think about the spin. He Seltzer had the balls striking numbers about trusted sources. This is a CNN poll. CDC, 74% trust. Dr. Fauci, 67% trust. CNN, 55. Trump and Fox, 36. Tom Elliott, CNN poll finds CNN's the best. Everybody else. That's because there's nobody in the airports anymore watching the shit. <laughs> Another. Trump's are funny that 55% of zero is still zero. <laughs> Other ones. CNN. A CNN poll shows most people say the U.S. government's doing a poor job preventing the spread of COVID-19. Trump's approval ratings is steady 45. Carmen Sabia. A CNN poll finds CNN is more trusted than Fox News. Stunning. I did a poll, too, and I found that I'm the handsome in this. <laughs> New CNN poll asks people they trust CNN. Also, the CDC has been consistently wrong. CNN loves CNN. CNN survey asks you like CNN. Surprise, you think they're swell. Some other ideas for CNN survey questions. Does this shirt make me look fat? Did you notice I'm working out? Will you be my friend? <laughs> Fifty-five percent of their own viewers trust them. A bare majority of our viewers don't think we're lying scumbags. <laughs> I mean, that's the money shot. But Seltzer, oh fuck, he's gonna Seltzer. So disappointing to look at what we're seeing from right-wing media these days, where there's such an obsession with the deep state and these uh, revelations about the Russia probe. <laughs> 
Latest on the Robert Mueller Russia investigation. Mueller investigation. The Russian investigation. Trump's Russia ties and Robert Mueller. The real Russia story. Russia probe. The ongoing Russia probe. Russia probe. The Russian investigation. But Mueller and the Russia probe. Russia synergies. They wonder if Russia has compromising information on the president. What is the source for the president's claim that they have found no collusion with Russia? He misspelled collusion. Every day we're trying to keep track of the drip, drip, drip of the Russia investigation. Drip, 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 Trump and Russia to see whether Trump was secretly working for Russia. Bring it back to Russia and Russia and Russia. 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 Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Special Counsel Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Robert Mueller. Mueller investigation. Mueller report. Russia conspiracy. Do you believe that he's colluding with Russia? I wish I could just say no. He's definitely not. That's crazy. Just like Tara Reid, their coverage of Flynn is just saying right wing's talking about it. I want you to go, let's go into a little, um, doodly doo, doodly doo, doodly doo. We're in a dream sequence. And Barack Obama on the, of, in 2008, where he went up next to the Greek pylons, the Republican Party and Fox News, and say there was two more conservative networks. They were in a different world. There's, there's six conservative networks and there's only one liberal one and they start rolling out a bullshit claim that obama he got his presidency because nigeria helped them and they roll with that and then as it starts getting doled out we find out that george w bush was wiretapping his entire campaign and unmasking people in his new freaking administration so that people could see who's making phone calls so they could use that person as a cudgel. And then for three years, Obama's bashed in the six news channels and we do investigations and we spend $50 million and we find nothing. Then promptly, the right wing pulls out some more bullshit off a partisan lieutenant colonel in the army who's a right winger, and he was listening to Obama talk to a foreign country. And then the right wing goes out and the House impeaches him, and the Senate's run by Democrats, so they don't impeach him. How do you think that would play? I mean, right now we know if you say China, you're a racist, because we've gone the Chinese flu, Kung flu, and just say, ask China is racist if you're a Asian reporter. Do you think that would play well? Do you think at some time the Obama administration start going, hey, let's look into this shit. Let's do it. But let's give it a go. And then start uncovering shit and finding out that what we know now, that Bush knew and kind of was directing it, and that all these people who said they had nothing to do with it were actually people that asked for the unmasking, as we'll find out in our This Is America. How do you think that would play? Well, in our media, of course it's going to play that it's, it's just partisan bullshit. Brian Seltzer wouldn't be so glib. But understand, this guy's writing a book about Fox, 
And now he's going to take that book and shift it to coronavirus shaming. Under the less than complimentary web address, Hoax the Book, Simon & Schuster is promoting Brian Seltzer's urgent fox-hating books, Hoax, now scheduled for release in August. The book has shifted to zero in on coronavirus with the natural assumption that Fox News misinformation enhanced sickness and death, while other leaders were marshalling resources to combat the great pandemic of modern history. President Donald Trump was watching TV. Trump watched over six hours of Fox News a day, a habit is referred to as executive time. In January 2020, when Fox News began to downplay the COVID-19 president, was quick to agree. In March, his deadly virus spiraled out of control. Sean Hannity mocked coronavirus hysteria as a new hoax on the left. Millions of Americans took Hannity and Trump's words. Until then, some started to get sick. And hoax, CNN anchor and chief media correspondent Brian Seltzer tells the twisted story of the relationship between Donald Trump and Fox News. Oh, my God. You know, I tried to watch his fake news movie, and I couldn't do it. His documentary. It was about the Pizzagate thing. I couldn't do it. I just can't. I can't. But but they're all in. They're just all in. This morning it was that Trump criticized or didn't agree with Fauci. And all through these hearings, oh, here, here's an NBC. They are so happy that now all we see on TV is hearings about the coronavirus because Trump's a distraction. What you've seen is an event that is focused on facts, uh, the realities of testing, the realities of reopening in a way that, you know, is much different than what we have been seeing daily throughout this crisis at the White House, where we have seen uh, quite a bit of, of politicking and uh, not necessarily the same set of facts from the president as what we're hearing uh, from these officials uh, today. This is rare testimony in that this is the first time the country is hearing from the nation's top four health officials who are charged with the federal coronavirus response in an unfiltered manner, away from the close and careful gaze of President Trump, who at times during previous coronavirus task force briefings has either you know uh, cut off or redirected uh, some of these answers. And I think this is a reminder that in some ways, Lester, and it's as uncomfortable as to say it, President Trump doesn't his presence seems to create more chaos, create more issues in a given moment. Take him out of the equation, and you have a sort of a clear, if I would say, tough picture that we're faced. I mean, would that ever fly during Obama? And then they even have their own little fucking, you know, it's not just CNN, it's um, ABC, John Carl. He decided to shame John Roberts. He did a tweet, and he got pictures of... Fox News people with their mask off during the press briefing. Now, understand, they're sitting outside. They're more than six feet apart. It's a big clusterfuck. But all of them sometimes take their mask down for a second. Everybody does that. So, John Roberts, facts. I was quietly seated more than six feet away from the closest person here in the CDC social and distance guidelines. When the press conference began, I put the mask on. So what exactly is the basis for this petty effort at shaming and his tweet, John Carl, almost everybody in the Rose Garden is wearing a mask. Almost everybody. John Carl. Yesterday I tweeted a photo of extraordinary scene in the Rose Garden. The photo of John Roberts left the wrong impression. He's a good reporter who cares about protecting his colleagues and family. He was practicing social distancing. I did not mean to imply otherwise. Yes, you did. John Roberts. And just for the record, this is me prior to going out to the Rose Garden yesterday. I wore the mask out of the garden, then took it off for my live shot with Cavuto. Then a few minutes later, put it back on. Great Plains girl, then why do it? Your correction garners much less attention, but then you know that. Zach Stewart, you meant to shame him because he works at Fox. Same plain book. 
playbook is uh, Brian Seltzer. Another, what did you mean to imply, Karen? What did you mean to imply then, Karen? There's a million of them. Frozen egg roll. You did mean it and knew what impression you were going to convey. Good job validating people's point about how the media in this country is a joke. So you think this would be the end of it? No. No, because guess what? He got caught himself. I, I could read a million other ones, but I'm, I'm just going to get to the point. Luke Maloney, on this thread, and I didn't look at it. I only took the people making fun of John Carl. Luke Maloney, you didn't wear a mask on Cinco de Mayo to pick your tacos from Mi Vida. Why not? Is there a different standard for the media? Are there some places we have to wear a mask and others we don't? But once again, when you're spending your time like Cuomo did red and blue states, more red and blue state questions, I've already broke it down. We can keep breaking it down if you'd like to, Chris Cuomo. The per million, per hundred fucking thousand metric of people infected and people and died doesn't even compare to blue states. Your big, oh, up popular vote, we got more people, we should get more representation. Well, guess what? You also got a fucking shit ton more of Corona. <clears throat> the media is so bad right now. The Wall Street Journal, and I couldn't get the full article. I really wanted to. But I'm not getting a subscription for just a couple stories, because then I forget about it. I end up paying $100 over a year of these fees, and I check my credit card and go, what the fuck? Which has happened to <laughs> WAPO. WAPO got a year out of me. I only used it twice. They had a story. How many people does it take to make fake news? More details from the health facility. CBS blames for bogus video. They had to literally admit it, and they came out and admit we did do this. We made the fake line. It's what our media does. It is what our media does. I am, sh even Fox liberals, I'm sure they've done it. When they're in their zeal to make a point, well, we'll just make it up. Because they can. We won't know. Which is why I fucking hate our media right now. You can't trust them. You can't trust anything they put out because it's so slanted. We have ABC, NBC, CBS, PBS, CNN, MSDNC, WAPO, New York Times, LA Times, Portland, Oregonian. They're all left. And you got Fox News, who's all right. I mean, who do you believe? But this article just broke it down that... Project Veritas video wasn't fake, which none of the CNN people are going to cover. MSNBC is not going to cover. ABC, NBC, and CBS the Evening News are not going to cover that. But they have covered Project Veritas when it busted Planned Parenthood, and they said it was deceptively edited. And now we have a case where, yeah, no, it's not. CBS admitted it. Why is that not news? Oh, I know, because it doesn't 
fit your agenda. So, to that music ba- break, I promised, never done this, I'm going to actually play a song, and then I'm going to play a new bumper, which is part of that song. It's a little weird, but I love the guitar line, so that's what we're going to do, and then we'll come into more CNN bashing.
Welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast with Tony Reed. And yet, John, the president, in a way, ignoring the issues in his own house, if you will, tweeting again this morning about the reopening pace. The great people of Pennsylvania want their freedom now. They're fully aware of what that entails. The Democrats are moving slowly all over the USA for political purposes. They would wait until November 3rd if it were up to them. Don't play politics. The president, this is brazen, there are stronger words, uh, saying that Democratic governors are going slow, not because they're trying to protect their citizens, but because they're trying to hurt him. Look, that is disconnected from reality. Uh, that it, it is completely preposterous. The uh, governors of the states are trying to protect their people, uh, and by protecting their people, that's how you can reopening, uh, reopen the country. What they're asking for is a nationwide testing regime along the lines of what the president benefits from in the White House at this moment. You do not have the capacity, as you indicated at the top of the hour, uh, of for Americans to be frequently tested uh, to uh, uh, give them confidence that the workplaces they go into, the shops that they go into, are going to be safe. And until we get some semblance of that kind of a testing regime, uh, or you get a vaccine or a therapeutic that can wipe this thing out, we're going to have this problem. More than fair. Is this governor going too fast? Is this governor too slow? What about dine and service? To question the details, more than fine. To say that governors are doing this for politics is pretty shameless. Uh, you've, you've talked on air to a White House aide to ask the president to uh, talk to him about invoking the Defense Production Act for the manufacturing of tests, among other things. And you've asked members of the GOP to talk to the president to take the science seriously. Is that the role of journalists now, to encourage people close to the president to take action or to take certain aspects of the research about this seriously? Do you feel like that's your role? Um, it's a good question because obviously, you know, I don't feel comfortable advocating for policies when it comes to taxes or energy or, you know, involvement in, in foreign wars. You know, that's not my job. But I do think that there is something to be said about the fact that when I, when you are a conduit of information, as I am, and you talk to health experts and they say, this is what we need to be doing, and I did say on air one time, and this was after President Trump had mused publicly about the wisdom of injecting disinfectants into the human body, I said that Republican leaders need to take action because things are getting dangerous. President Trump has said things that made things more dangerous for people, it's just empirically, just as a fact. I think what we saw in that exchange with Weijia Zhang is something that has racial overtones. Uh, it is racist to look at an Asian-American White House correspondent and say, ask China. 
This isn't happening in a vacuum. This is part of a pattern of behavior from the president that goes back many years. The president routinely targets reporters who are women and people of color. In this case, he targeted Weijia Zhang today, but this is a pattern. And as much as we are competitive in the press corps, I think it's important we show solidarity in moments like this and call out racial kind of reactions from the president. Many Americans are saying the exact same thing about you, that you should have warned them the virus was spreading like wildfire through the month of February instead of holding rallies with thousands of people. Why did you wait so long who are you to with? warn who, them? Who are you with? Do you mean who are you with or do you mean where are you from? Maybe you can give him the benefit of the doubt back then, but after the president got that dig about China, got in the dig about China today, I don't know. Uh, he does have problems with with taking questions when he's challenged by women, particularly women of color. Uh, and in that moment, I think you saw, you know, in a moment of crisis, his true character came out. All he saw there was an Asian uh, not an Asian American, uh, and someone who was uh, who represented China, and he lashed out uh, at her in a way that I believe w was was openly racist. But it really was a low moment uh, in his presidency. There have been many, but that was a that was a very low moment where I think we we got a window into his character. They're just garbage. Steve Krakauer comes down to basic patriotism about expecting to be able to hold government officials accountable. There's an unwillingness to enable that transparency and access by having briefings. Briefings are back. CNN won't air them. Where does he get that? January uh, 14th. Day 301 without a formal White House briefing. Press secretary doesn't hold briefings because the president doesn't want her to hold briefings. It's as simple as that. Um, and he double tweeted that. Steve Krakauer put it side by side. CNN and MSNBC continue not to air the White House press briefing. This is absurd. Hurts their viewers and hurts their ability to describe themselves as a news network. Meanwhile, they air Cuomo every day. Every day. And then we start discovering, by doing some simple stuff, CNN ignored allegations against Biden for an entire month then they just covered it, and that was it. In this article, um, there are also no concern for tarring Kavanaugh's reputation and smear that would never be proven as that same network recklessly parroted unsubstantiated claims against then nominee, associating him with the word rape 191 times in three weeks. CNN did not breathe a, wor breathe a word about the accusation against Biden until April 25th, a full month after Reed allegations. But it's just not seltzer. Here's Cuomo. I could play an hour of just Cuomo being a douche nozzle. And understand, all the things we talked about in the last two months, Lazarus from the dead, being an advisor for his brother. The Hill, Press Secretary McKinney, contrary to some media pronouncements, the United States did not need one million ventilators. Cuomo <clears throat> broke quarantine, got his whole family infected. 
His brother's the one that started it. She won't address testing requests from red and blue states. Why? Heather Champion, you did not include a clip about a question being asked regarding testing requests from red and blue states. Why? Because she did take it. But he doesn't watch it because they don't even fucking air it. Remember, no one has praised how China handled coronavirus in our government more than Trump did. Dozens of times since this started, he talked about their transparency and what a good job they're doing until they needed someone to blame. It didn't work for him politically anymore. And then his puppy dog puppets and his cronies came after China. The Chinese may have unleashed a global pandemic on the rest of us. It's funded in part by you, by U.S. taxpayers through the National Institutes of Health. Like them better with the bow tie. And then it got an echo from his buddies in Congress. The NIH gives this $3.7 million grant to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I've called on Secretary Azar to immediately halt this grant to the Wuhan Institute of Virology. China bad, China scary, China make virus to kill us. China bad, Obama bad, China and Obama, very bad. That's what they're selling you. Okay, what do the facts tell us? Well, his guy, okay, who runs our national intelligence, all right, the director, whose main credential is being Trump's guy, says, we don't know that China created this virus in a lab. All right, we have breaking news on our watch. It is a very provocative headline. I'm just getting it. Let's go through it together in real time. Here's the headline. The United States is pursuing the theory that the virus started in a Chinese lab, not a market. I know the Internet is rife with conspiracy theories and concerns uh, that this was something that was worked on, that was designed. And that's why we don't understand it. Uh, and, you know, as we had to learn from the White House backwards, COVID-19 isn't the 19th version of anything. It was discovered in 2019. That's what it means. But beyond the coding of it, we know very little. And part of the curiosity is we don't know a lot because somebody changed a virus structure enough to make it a mystery for us. Now, what is behind the headline? All right. I think we're going to have to back off about a half a But right now, the American family is in a period of dysfunction. We're estranged and acting strangely. 10,000 more Americans could die by August because so many places are relaxing social distancing. What happened to no man left behind? Now it's 10,000? Is okay? Look, it's common sense. That's what would happen. You don't need the models to tell you that. If you stop social distancing, that's why those who attack this reality. Do it with snark and cynical self-interest, like Senator Rand Paul did today. We never really reached any sort of pandemic levels in Kentucky and other states. We have less deaths in Kentucky than we have in 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 an average flu season. It's not to say this isn't deadly, but really outside of New England, we've had a relatively benign course for this virus nationwide. Remember, that beard, that's Paul's COVID beard. He had the virus. And he still seems to be suffering from a type of sickness, but one of the soul. Does he really think that he has no obligation to anyone but his state? America's never won by going every man and woman for themselves. Only when we are all in do we win. 
We are not prevailing, not until we show the desperation to get tracing and testing. Until that, we'll be failing, because we're failing to give the truth to the people, which will give them the trust they need to reopen. You can't wish a virus away. It won't miraculously disappear. The president traces and tests every damn day. And everyone around him has a mask on. Now, he doesn't because he wants to keep up the Fox farce, this BS that COVID-19 is overrated. I guess the anti-elitists over there are okay with 10,000 more dead. These liars and race baiters want you to think Fauci is not to be believed, that social distancing is about stealing your freedom. Remember what your mother told you about people who have nothing good to say. They should say nothing at all. And CNN, really, numerous networks have actually called out the handling of the ventilators, how Cuomo, his brother, did it, how they handled retirement homes. Here's NBC, and you'll never hear this on CNN because Chris Cuomo is one of their employees, and he's friends with his brother and advisor, yada, yada, but they won't cover this. Connecticut's Governor Ned Lamont thinks forcing nursing homes to take COVID-positive patients, as most states are doing, is a path to disaster. I'm terrified. COVID-only facilities are Governor Lamont's solution. This was a 90-bed nursing home until it shut down last November. An ideal setting for a COVID-only facility, says Harvard professor David Grabowski. Connecticut deserves a lot of credit. They're testing everyone, staff and residents. They're providing personal protective equipment for, for, the, for the staff. And then finally, they're creating these specialized COVID facilities. Over the weekend, New York's Governor Cuomo reversed his controversial policy, forcing nursing homes to take back COVID-positive patients and says they now have COVID-only facilities like this one on standby. Back in Connecticut, the National Guard is lending a hand. Like most of the country, Connecticut has struggled with the shortage of PPE especially for nursing home workers, some donning trash bags, they say, to protect themselves. Governor Cuomo has said it is not his responsibility to provide PPE to nursing home facilities. In a crisis, the buck stops right here. And I consider around saying, oh, these nursing homes are private enterprises. Why didn't they take care of their own people? When we started this, yes, we have more cases than anyone else. Yes, we had this European virus attack us and nobody expected it but we're not only going to change our trajectory we're going to change the trajectory more dramatically than any place else in the nation on the end of that soundbite you hear his brother now calling it a european virus it's a new twist not only won't they say covid because the c is chinese now they're calling it a european European virus. When did it become a European virus? Because anybody tell me that? It didn't come from Europe. Isn't that fake news? Isn't that wrong? I mean, a- anybody want to anybody wanna explain where that came from? Because that's not the name of the virus. Why are they calling it that? Anybody. European virus. 
The left is so in it. This is amazing. This is kind of like when they went after Magpul after one of the shootings and Magpul had a move. Jared Polis. We want you here, Elon Musk, in Colorado. We're the best of all worlds. We're very pro-business, low taxes, also pro-immigration, pro-LGBT, globally minded, bright, smart, motivated people love to live here. And Tesla HQ, Cybertruck, Gigafactory, look at no further. Kimba, Kimball, Elon, do your homework. This might be the best state for Tesla. Hi, Jared. Colorado's great. I think your policies make a lot of sense. Rooter Business. Elon Musk and Texas Governor Greg Abbott talk about potential Tesla moving to Lone Star State because Alameda County wouldn't let him open, so he did it anyway. He just opened back up. Joe Weisenthal. Tesla has been given the official green light to restart his factory in California after they just did it. They just started doing it. So to keep him there, and they heard that he's getting ready to move, they let him open up. Because they're talking about a lockdown through fucking July. And they don't even have that many cases in Los Angeles County. But at the end of the day, this is how they act. It's just insane. Democrats and Assemblywoman Lauren Gonzalez tweeted, Fuck Elon Musk. Because you know she's super professional and someone other can look up to or not. Well, it appears CABIA, California Business Industrial Alliance, took her edgy little tweet and used it as an ad slabbing both her and her job-killing AB5. Yes, she's the one behind the legislation that killed freelance in California. Mess with billionaires, don't complain about the one-page ad on the paper. It's a work of art. Lauren so had it coming. One person creates job, the other kills them. Boomage. Kara Gramber, Grandma Killer Eilson. Um, repeal the garbage law. It's basically all these California people are pushing so far that it's turning into New York. People are going to leave their state because they're done with their shit. And then you have the wet dream of all liberals, we played it on the show, contact tracing. Washington Governor Jay Inslee announced a new contract tracing program for the state and the medium post because that's the best way to alert your population, I guess. Governor Jay Inslee, until a treatment or vaccine is developed, contract tracing is the fastest and safest path to recovery. Here's what it will look like in Washington. He gave a press conference on it, which also didn't go well. This excerpt, for example, is one you'll see a lot today. In summary, once once someone tests positive, state contact tracers will tell everyone that infected person has come into contact with to quarantine themselves in 14 days. According to what was said at the press conference, this means no leaving home, even for groceries. Linwood Times. For those individuals that refuse to cooperate with contract tracers and or refuse testing, will not be allowed to leave their homes to purchase basic necessities such as groceries and or prescriptions. Need to eat? The state will provide you groceries for you somehow. It isn't clear. Greg Polowitz. The full context is a little bit different than this tweet. This is for people who have been in contact with a COVID person. Inslee said there will be people to deliver them groceries at their home if they don't have someone to do it. 
Ross Dugat. That doesn't seem like what he's saying here. We will have attached to the families a family support person who will check in with them to see what they need on a daily basis and help them. If they can't get a friend to do their grocery shopping, we'll help them get groceries in some fashion. If they need pharmaceuticals, we'll pick them up. We'll make sure they get their pharmaceuticals. That's going to help encourage them to maintain their isolation. Seth Mandel, if you have a relative dependent on life-saving meds and the state forbid them from leaving their house but said, don't worry, just call in a bureaucracy, your response is confidence that it's not a death sentence. Any hard, and any hard directive isn't going to fly in my entire point. Keith Humphreys, most of my great public health colleagues are greatly overestimating the likelihood that the U.S. can mount a national test, trace, and isolate programs as Germany and South Korea did. <clears throat> They're mistaken. A political cultural challenge for a technical one. Public health professionals working out the technical side brilliantly. How many tests? What type? Who makes the process of them? How many health workers are needed for tracing? But solving these technical problems means nothing without widespread political consent. In countries with successful testing programs, deference to government authority is higher than in the U.S. Information on where people live and work is often less closely guarded, and acceptance of the state as a monopoly on force is virtually uncontested. Testing programs depend on all that. They depend on the people being so compliant they will stay home for 14 days because a health worker told them to. Meanwhile, in Detroit last week, a grocery store security guard was shot in the face for asking someone to wear a mask. Guess the color of the person. He wasn't white. That's why it didn't make the news. Not that I think all black people shoot people. I'm just saying. If that was a white dude shooting a black dude, we would have gone full tilt. But we didn't. You didn't even hear about it unless you were on Twitter. Hard question. Public health professionals haven't answered include, what do you do when millions of Americans refuse to take your test? What do you do when many of the people you order to isolate are to the close their business angrily refuse? These political challenges are not obvious to public health planners because virtually everyone in the field believes public health emergencies show override concerns about privacy and autonomy. And in general, public health specialists usually support expanding government. But these propositions have never been universally shared in America. Indeed, we've debated them for centuries. You don't have to venture far off campus to see that many, many Americans don't subscribe to politics that are normative within public health. Of course, some places do broadly share these politics. They will produce patches of reduced infection via test track and isolate. A Massachusetts here, a San Francisco or Seattle there. But in a mobile nation, you can't build a no-peeing section in the swimming pool. He's so fucking right. That's why America is more or less going to end up with a Swedish coronavirus policy, not because we universally agree or consciously choose it, but because we couldn't universally agree and never have about fundamental issues surrounding politics and health. So, once again, to make sure we understand what contract tracing is, it's a specialized skill to be done effectively. I got this straight from the CDC. It requires people with the training, supervision, and access, social and medical support for patients and contacts. Requested knowledge and skills for contact tracers include, but are not listed to, an understanding of patient confidentiality, including the ability to conduct interviews without violating confidentiality. Won't happen. Basically, you're suspending HIPAA. Because you're telling everybody. 
Understand the medical terms or principles of exposure, infection, infectious period, potentially infectious interactions, symptoms of disease, pre-symptomatic and asymptomatic infection, excellent and sensitive interpersonal, cultural sensitive and interviewing skills such that they can build and maintain trust. Most won't do it because if you're a white person, they want you to die anyway. Basic skills of crisis counseling, the ability to confidentially refer patients, resourcefulness in location, locating patients in contact may be difficult to reach or reluctant to engage, understanding of when to refer individuals to situations to medical, social, or supervisory resources, and cultural competency appropriate to the local community. Understand, these are the same people that say it shouldn't be a crime for somebody with AIDS to infect somebody else, because that's a protected group, LGBT. And it's illegal to tell people that people have AIDS. That is the same group. But now they want to tell the world you have COVID and lock you in your house like we're in fucking China. Yeah. That's what we want to do. So, it's going to come. You wait. If you get a Biden president, contact tracing will be universal. They will literally guard you in your house. And you'll starve to death. Because you came in contact. I'm not talking about the person that got the infection. I'm talking, I passed somebody at a store. And you're going to tell me I can't leave my fucking house. Ever. Until you tell me I can to our hate section. I had a soundbite, but I'm not going to play it. It wasn't really good stuff, so I'm, I'm going to let it go. Because um, I I got a lot of fucking soundbites, and I'm trying to keep the show a little shorter because it's, it's really fucking long across the board. Um, Mike Rappaport, uh, and I missed this somehow, tweets horrendous Mother Day message to useless Melania Trump. Doesn't matter who you are. If you take time out of your day to insult someone's mother on Mother's Day, you might officially be a scumbag. That should be the ruling on hateful, anti-Trump smearing Michael Rappaport, who dedicated his social media posts during the holiday to attacking First Lady Donald, uh, Melania Trump. The D-list actor and stand-up comic made an attempt at injecting some relevance in his career by taking cheap shots at Trump, his wife, and Barron. The enraged Trump hater called Flotus a useless mother and posted a risque picture of Mrs. Trump from a past fashion shoot to Twitter in a lewd attack on her modesty. Rappaport tweeted, Happy Mother's Day. I hope you're a better mother than you are First Lady. You're useless as a First Lady. Literally Flotus, hashtag MILFs. Then, Jezebel, feminist on Jezebel, I'll personally be thrilled if Stephen Miller dies of COVID. Yeah, that's nice. The all you need is love liberals. It's another breakdown on Friday night when the sleazy feminist website Jezebel posted some hate speech titled, I will personally be thrilled if Stephen Miller dies of COVID. Suddenly we're back in the territory where liberals humorously imagine Miller's severed head on a pole. The hater in this case is named Molly Osberg, and the reason for the spleen-venting clickbait is that Miller's wife, Katie, who also works at the White House for the vice president, has been infected with the coronavirus. Usually, Osberg reporting on death is more like what it's like to cross Louisiana coronavirus checkpoints for abortion. Mm, we're covering that today. 
I have said it here to say, I desperately hope Stephen Miller contracts COVID-19. This is a man who has spent his entire life pursuing the idea that American diversity is a disease, who laundered white nationalist talking points first through right-wing blogs and then wrote them in the now president campaign speeches, who has been obsessed with the idea of consequences for immigrants, who actually enjoys seeing those pictures of the border. This is a person who relentlessly hammered the idea that only punishment of consequence was to treat children as poorly as the law could possibly allow. If thousands of Americans, the vast majority of them black and Latinx, are going to die every day from the new coronavirus, Stephen Miller should absolutely get it, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fucking nice. That, that's, that's really nice. Then we have new Facebook Oversight Board member, partial towards a Muslim Brotherhood. That's another one of those Facebook guardians that are going to tell us what we should or should not say. But my best came from my son, I believe. I think this was Zach in Tennessee. Michael Stadjur. As of May 7th, a third of the COVID deaths are in the green, in the red, and in the yellow. So you break it down by third, third, third. A third of the deaths are New Jersey, New York. The yellow is all the Northeast. And the green is is the rest of the fucking country. That's that's what we got here. That That's just fucking horrible. <clears throat> Media will never, ever, ever, ever cover it because they're too busy doing our next article. Conservative woman takes WAPO health reporter pushing panic porn apart. Is it just our imagination, or is the media working overtime to try to make sure Americans are terrified to ever leave their homes? I think that's what it is. Lenny Bernstein. A look at what we know so far about the novel coronavirus. It can attack the heart, savage the kidneys, and create blood clots that kill with sudden efficiency. Worst of all, children may not be immune. Well, we don't have a lot of children cases, but go ahead, brother. <clears throat> Stacy Gen X, Reagan kid, commie sucks. Scott's Fry. I guess she's Stacy Lennox of PJ Media. And here is her diatribe. I want to try to do at least two of these a show to get some pushback. <clears throat> Panic porn. Clinicians have been saying for months this is due to an over- active immune response called a clicotin storm, which can be effectively treated. The media just won't tell you that or give these MDs any coverage. It's a shame WAPO doesn't give the reporters access to the Internet. It was rather easy to find this info that goes back to 2003 and the first SARS outbreak. So now the country is maybe the world will have an overabundance of ventilators. However, it is difficult to fault the president. The media berated him into it. His health experts agreed with Governor Cuomo, and he was given an astounding number needed as a pandemic was expected to spread nationwide based on the models of the time. The same media also ignored a wealth of information being provided about the actual clinical presentation of the virus from clinicians on the front lines, preferring to quote Fauci, who was not treating patients. It is now being widely reported that ventilators don't work as if it can possibly be construed as some kind of gotcha against the President Trump. Rather, this should be a gotcha for the media and the global health experts. They ignored well-documented history related to SARS and feedback from doctors treating patients who were telling them the history was repeating itself. As far as I'm concerned, the current death row can lie at their feet. 
One doctor at Cedar sinai is actually preventing the need for ventilator using a treatment protocol based on quieting an overactive immune response with the which can attack just about any body system organ. In fact, his team has found patients to display a clinical profile that indicative of Clicodin storm will predictably need a vent in 6 to 12 hours of not treated. Even more insane, a Lancet article in March recommended treatment with an immune suppression in March, but instead of doing any research at all, WAPO decided to freak you out. Just like COVID-19, Clicodin and Storm as a risk factor. Interesting, they align very well with those from a severe COVID-19 infection with obesity and diabetes being top among them. Simple question is, if we knew this about SARS in 2003, why wasn't it among the first ideas investigated when a new strain of the same virus emerged? Why were frontline doctors like puzzled out why vent protocols for ARDS didn't work. This was seen in MERS as well. This lack of historical reference for clinicians falls directly on the global health apparatus. Thank good, good, thank God some dogged clinicians are re- learning it on their own. So the, oh my God, COVID can do anything, be afraid crowd should find themselves a Google machine and start asking why this obvious link to prior outbreaks was not among the first investigated. That's just... Today's big news, the Today Show was jerking off with both hands. A health expert will say that America wasn't prepared for this. And of course, it'll be Trump's fault, not Obama's, who was told we need a ventilator, that this virus is going to come back. Those health experts knew. They did nothing with it. They didn't prepare shit. But you won't hear it in all these sound bites. Uh, uh, Pelosi, the view bashes a salon order. Then they support Cuomo because he's a god. Amon Pur, we brought it on ourselves. Lightfoot, who the fuck elected this lady? And we even got a Biden. And remember, it's a snuff operative on this, which will start us into other subjects. What the Democrats are here to do is to put forth a plan, a plan with a goal, a plan with milestones, a timeline, a plan with unif- that is unifying, uh, built on some of the uh, initiatives we've had in past uh, coronavirus legislation. We passed four bipartisan bills. But this is, uh, we have three pillars. One, let us open up the economy by testing. And that means testing everyone, tracing and uh, having the treatment as well as the isolation that may be necessary. Or, and God willing, we get a virus, uh, excuse me, a vaccine or a therapy soon. And that would be helpful to open up. But in the meantime, we have to know the caliber of the problem. They don't even know the caliber of the problem in the White House. We have to know what it is in the nation. And we have to know how it addresses, it, it attacks uh, with uh, communities of color in such a bad way. Secondly, we have to have, we have to honor those who are on the front line, those who are heroes. Uh, our healthcare workers, our first responders, our transit workers, food, trash pickup, teachers, teachers, all of those who have some exposure here. Uh, we want to honor them uh, so that we're worthy of their sacrifice and we're doing so in a big way uh, by uh, attributing a, a large resources for state and local government. And then we have to put money in the pockets of the American people, recognizing the pain the agony that they are feeling. To those who would suggest a pause, I'll say the hunger doesn't take a pause, the rent doesn't take a pause, 
uh, the hardship doesn't take a pause as we see families losing, oh, you said, over 80,000. That's unimaginable. And then so many infected and then so many on unemployment. So have a big need. It's monumental. And therefore, it's a great opportunity to say, let's work together to get this done. There's a way to open uh, the economy based on science, testing, 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 and let's get on with it. That's what we're here to do. Right. And they say you could have avoided jail time if you had apologized to the judge. Do you think there's anybody that you should apologize to outside of the judge, like, you know, the folks that are working so hard on the front line, folks like that, do they, you know, is it something you would have done for them as opposed to just saying to the to part of the government that wouldn't open up? Um, that's a good question, Whoopi. Of course, I'm appreciative and have friends that are, you know, the real heroes in this situation that are on the front lines and doing what they need to do um, in order to keep us all safe. But when I have other businesses like the pet groomer next door, that's been essential, quote unquote, the entire time. You could buy CBD oil. You could go to Home Depot and buy flowers. I mean, 200 people in the garden section. Um, I didn't see why it would be any different for me to open up using much safer guidelines than what was our, what, what they were doing. Shelly, um, coronavirus cases are already rising in Texas and across the country where restrictions have been lifted. And you worried about your staff and your customers. Are, are, I mean, I would assume you're worried about your staff and customers getting sick since there's now an uptick because of people not following the rules like yourself? Well, I think that the there's a rise in the COVID cases because there's more testing available, and that has been discussed before. Um, so we expected a rise in the cases. What we need to look at is um, the number of deaths, if that is plateauing at all, and to make sure that we have room in our hospital beds, um, and Texas has plenty of room in their beds and are able to care for um the people that need to come in at this time. As a matter of fact, there's doctors and nurses getting furloughed because there's not enough work. Um, okay, well, the one thing that I do want to point out, Shelly, before we go, is that, you know, I understand why you did what you did, but I would like to hear you put some of that fury and, and that passion towards the governments that didn't take care of the people. Look, when you have, I would say this is a problem with the elites running the country. And when I say that, I mean people in the media, all politicians, um, I mean, not all of them, but a swath of politicians. I think when you have someone like Chris Cuomo, who is the brother of Governor Andrew Cuomo, who actively has the coronavirus and then goes out in public and gets in a tiff with his neighbor and it ends up all over the Internet when you aren't socially distancing and staying quarantining, that's a problem. And I, I believe that Andrew, I think that Chris Cuomo, when he had that argument with his neighbor, was on his property. He was home, I believe. Check well, it out. I mean, I, okay. I, he inter I don't. I mean, I just know what I've read. He interacted with his neighbor enough for him to be angry enough to go all over media complaining about it. And I just think my understanding is, if you have the COVID virus, you should stay inside. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Well, he was right. outside in front well, of his own. You know, your point is taken, though. I stopped it prematurely because you know that's a civilian. 
and she's white. Do you think those fucking cunts on The View would treat a black hair salon person from Georgia that way? Do you think that would happen? Uh, no. No. But those fucking biddies, man, they were all over that poor lady. My question is, why the fuck did she go on? So we'll continue. I'm a purr and Lightfoot, and then we'll start. I think we're starting to bash a little Biden. It's time to bash Biden. Yes, tell me about how COVID is going to, I don't know, is it going to work out? Could it have a silver lining in terms of how we figure out our place, we humans in the natural world, what we've done to potentially disrupt the natural world? Where, where, where do you think this could lead? Well, the thing is that we've brought this on ourselves. A, a pandemic like this has been predicted. We've had epidemics galore. And it's because we have disrespected the natural world and the animals who live there. And... We cut down forests, animals are pushed closer together, some of them are pushed to crop, crop raid and things in the nearby villages. This gives an opportunity for the viruses and bacteria to spill over from the animal host to human. And then in addition to that, we kill them, we eat them, we traffic them. We sell them in wildlife meat markets across Asia, which, by the way, most wet markets don't sell live wild animals at all. Uh, they're more like farmers' markets. Mm -hmm. But anyway, these uh, wildlife meat markets across Asia and the bush meat markets in Africa create ideal environments for these viruses and bacteria to hop over to cross the species barrier and bind with whatever they bind with in the human to create a new disease like COVID-19. And we should remember it's not only the cruelty to the animals who are sold in tiny cages, often killed on the spot, vendors and customers contaminated with blood, urine, feces and so on. But then we've got our factory farms that we're breeding billions of animals in terrible, horrible, crowded, unsanitary conditions. And epidemics have started from factory farms as well as from these wildlife uh, markets. So we have brought this on ourselves and people have known about it and been telling us about it. But we prefer to go on with business as usual to make money and attain power in the short term and not worry about future generations or the health of the planet with the executive branch, because otherwise it doesn't work. So you got to eliminate that compliance, and you make a mandate, um, and then you do training, particularly in the city, I'll call them licensing departments, whether it's zoning, buildings, um, housing will be impacted by it, planning certainly, um, and, it's, and, you, and you pick the people that run those agencies and the deputies that are pledging allegiance to the new world order and good governance, and then I think you have the Inspector General do some spot audits to make sure that... I do want to ask you about Michael Flynn, the former National Security Advisor to President Trump, and the move by the Justice Department last week to dismiss the case against him for lying to the FBI. The President said yesterday that that move is justified because President Obama targeted Flynn. He called it, quote, the biggest political crime in U.S. history. Your former Senate colleague, Charles Grassley, has added that Flynn was entrapped and asked on the Senate floor, what did Obama and Biden know? When did they know it? So what did you know about those moves to investigate uh, Michael Flynn? And was there anything improper done? 
I know nothing about those moves to investigate Michael Flynn, number one. Number two, this is all about diversion. I do want to press that. You say you didn't know anything about it, but you were reported to be at a January 5th, 2017 meeting where you and the president were briefed on the FBI's plan to question Michael, Michael Flynn over those uh, conversations he had with the uh, Russian ambassador Kislyak. Now, I thought you asked me whether or not I had anything to do with him being prosecuted. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I was aware that there was, that there, they asked for an investigation. But that's all I know about it. And I don't think anything else. We have an economic crisis. We have a health crisis. This is all about diverting attention. Focus on what's in front of us. Was the Get us out of this, Mr. President. Was the Justice Department right to drop those charges against Michael Flynn? Look, I, I, I don't know the detail of where we are right now. My point is a simple one. Focus on what's in front of us. You have plenty of time to investigate this issue. I think there's nothing there. Remember that soundbite. Remember it. We're going to hit that on our This is America because that, that's our worst thing today, the unmasking. He's a fucking liar. Comments to this, Biden on GMA, I would tell governors, listen to Fauci, listen to the scientists, listen to what facts are. Look, this is a president has to focus on what's going on here. Mike Mamoli, Joe Biden, the truth is the truth, George. Anyone can't get a, anyone can't get a test in the country. We knew about this crisis all the way back in January and February. He's been incompetent in the way he can't respond. Jessica Dean, Joe Biden. When asked what President Trump's response to the pandemic, Biden replied, this is a fantasy land that he Trump is talking about. Biden says he's aware of a discussion of investigation of Flynn, but he says it's a diversion tactic. Laura Ingram. Biden deflects simple questions about what he knew. Yeah, he did. Julia Manchester. Everyone says Biden hiding. Well, let me tell you something. We're doing really well. Marianne Sotomayor. Biden said he's anxious to go out on campaign trail, but unlike President Trump, he's following the rules and trying to set an example as to how to proceed in these times. The president should follow the rules instead of showing up to places without masks. Biden, uh, Jessica Dean, Biden on virtual campaigning. We're following the guidelines, blah, 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 blah. When asked about Tara Reid allegation, Biden gave a similar answer as before. Says women should be believed, state the case. Those allegations should be looked into, but it's not true. Rick Klein. Biden, those who believe Tara Reid and won't vote for him because of the allegation. That's the right. At the end of the day, the truth's the truth. The truth is, this never happened. Charles Cook, this is so meaningless as to be the same standard as don't believe women. And the important part of the question is that the case is made, heard, and evaluated. It doesn't matter much to anything except politeness where you start. Calvin Ball, which I loved Calvin Ball. Then... I had a soundbite. I'm not going to play it because we all remember binders full of women. Well, Joe Biden just said the same thing, and I am so shocked the media didn't criticize it. Oh, no, I'm not. Joe Biden likened potential running mates to a calendar models because, of course, he did. Steve Guest, seriously, Joe Biden, you view your presidential picks as calendar models? In private encounters before this campaign, Mr. Biden has likened running mate evaluations to deciding among calendar models with three broad categories and outdated honorifics. Contenders can be a Mr. August, a shot of momentum in the summer, 
a Mr. October, a reliable and effective campaigner, or Mr. January, a governing partner, politics withstanding. Amber Athey, the New York Times reports that Biden has like and running mates evaluation deciding among calendar monitors. Binders full of women, anyway? Joe Biden's time in Sarah Palin's shadow. What stra- two strange months of 2008 taught the former vice president about the politics of grievance and how that might help him pick a running mate of his own, and they show him shaking hands with Sarah Palin. John Gabriel. Imagine a world where Mitt Romney said, I'm going through calendar models to pick my vice president. Where, where would that be okay? Why is it such a different standard? You, you see why people like me and the majority of Americans who aren't liberals go, what the fuck, media? What the fuck? You ran a dog on a roof, a, a car garage, 47% and binders full of women, and oh, the 80s are calling for your foreign policy about Russia. This is the same party who thinks Russia is the boogeyman and their candidate says binders full of women in a different way. And then you got Chuck Schumer. And it breakly brings up, Me Too is dead. Look, before um, uh, the Me Too movement, women were not listened to who um, uh, were telling what had happened to them. Since Me Too, women are listened to. Now, I've heard Joe Biden's uh, explanation. I think it's sufficient. I think he will be a great candidate. I think he will be a great president. And I think he'll take us to take, help us take back the Senate. Fucking hypocrites. Chuck Schumer thinks Me Too was great and all, but Joe Biden's explanation for terror allegation is sufficient. And Dems need to win. Tom Elliott, Senator Schumer, says it's time to move on to Tara Reid's sexual assault claim by Biden. I've heard Joe Biden's explanation. I think it's sufficient. Another, all these other replies. Well, that's then. Nothing to see here. Move along. Did you move on from Kavanaugh this quickly? No. But Kavanaugh's situation was completely different. Did Joe Biden sexually assault Tara Reid? We honestly don't know. But are Democrats circling the wagons in a way they never would for a Republican? Oh, hell yeah. Stacey Abrams jumped in. This is a real thing. Asked why Anna writes, asked by Anna writes about Tara Reid allegations. Stacey Abrams said, "What he is accused of doing that he has flatly and clearly denied. I believe his denial speaks not only to who he is, but who I am." And the world goes, "Yes, it does." And comfortably smug, me too is dead. It's completely dead. When a re- when it comes around again on a Republican. I'm just going to say, I don't believe her. Fuck her. Fuck her. Then we got Kristen Powers again. Now she's trying to explain why she deleted everything. In December 2018, I decided to delete my Twitter, and a social media expert friend suggested I use auto-delete and just start over. 
So he mass deleted everything pre-2018. That's obvious, still available in a way back. Now people are claiming I individually deleted tweets. My policy is if I delete an individual tweet that has been up for more than a few minutes, I note that I did that. Sometimes I delete a tweet right after sending because I remember that I don't want to argue on Twitter. I've already said per the Kavanaugh tweets that I stand by everything I said and I did not delete them individually but saying it again, though... There are tweets I'm sure I would not stand by in tone or substance. Those are not them. I haven't mass deleted any tweets since 2018, but if I do, I'll let you know. The fact is, I haven't tweet- tweeted much since early 2019 when I took a break from Twitter, and I don't really plan to change that. A quick search of our timeline shows a gap with it looking like everything between 2018 and 2012 is gone. Well, at least she didn't say she was hacked. Never fly if she was on Fox. So we're going to listen to Press Secretary as our music break. I'm starting to like this girl because she's a smart ass, and I really enjoy that. And then we're going to come into news, social media nuggets. First, contrary to some media pronouncements, the United States um, did not need the one million ventilators thus far that the media said we were in dire need of. In fact, it's encouraging to be able to say that every single American who has needed a ventilator has received a ventilator. Um, and this administration has managed uh, to procure, excuse me, 100,000 ventilators to be man- manufactured in 100 days. That's extraordinary. That's three times the amount produced in the average year. Um, likewise, there was some concern about N95 respirators, but the Trump administration has now shipped over 90 million N95 respirators. Once again, that is more than three times the average healthcare industry consumption of N95 respirators, respirators in the typical year. Um, we see her and be able to get a, get an update from her and be able to ask questions of her. Yeah, again, you know, I, I don't know when in this capacity you will see her, but I talk to Dr. Burks regularly. In fact, I talked to her uh, just before I came out here because I had some questions about some funny numbers I heard from Senator Elizabeth Warren, um, and she helped me to correct those numbers, which I'd like to correct here because I think it's unfair to the American people to give inflated case numbers and mortality numbers because it leads uh, to those same Americans making the decision to not get a mammogram, to not have the cancer screenings they need. So I'd like to um, just reveal to you some information Dr. Burks just shared with me um, Elizabeth Warren erroneously said there were, were 25,000 new cases today. In fact, there were less than 20,000. Uh, Senator Warren said there were 2,000 deaths. In fact, there have been less than 1,000. I spoke with Dr. Burks about that. So I'd encourage our Democratic colleagues and all Americans to make sure we're putting out their good information because it does have consequences. Yes. Thank you. Uh, the Justice Department is considering bringing federal hate crime charges. Now it's time for news and social media nuggets. The crazy stuff that makes your host lose his mind.
College crazy. Georgetown sues U.S. for not giving money to illegal immigrant families. A Georgetown University Law School advocacy group filed a lawsuit against Villanova law professor Leslie Book against the United States over COVID-19 relief funding for children of illegal immigrants. The Institute for Constitutional Advocacy and Protection said that the press release that the complaint challenged the intentional and discriminatory exclusion of U.S. citizen children from receiving emergency assistance based solely on the fact that one or both of their parents are undocumented. They believed everybody should get 500 bucks. It won't happen. UW gives money to illegal immigrants who don't qualify for federal aid. After the recent Department of Education guidelines clarified the federal funds of the Coronavirus Aid Relief Economic Cares Act, to not be distributed by colleges to illegal immigrants, the University of Washington said, fuck you, and handed the money over. WAFSA is a Washington program for illegal immigrants who are largely ineligible for federal funding. It is unknown how much money will be distributed throughout the program. UW received $39.7 million in federal CARES funding. These grants are funded by non-federal sources. The grant amounts to $1,200 per students and $1,700 for students with dependents. Survey! Most students favor college-restricting speech. A new Gallup survey found the majority of students believe colleges should be able to restrict at least some speech, mainly when it comes to the, to the use of racial slurs and offensive, offensive costumes. Gallup and the Knight Foundation partnered together to conduct a survey of 3,319 randomly sampled U.S. college students. The survey found that 96% of them believed it's extremely important or very important for American democracy to tell people what they can think. It breaks it down. Majority of them are gay, lesbian. Jesus Christ. It wasn't random whatsoever. Let's go to gay shit right up front. A lesbian comic. This is something that I'm supposed to listen to. I I, I don't think I will. Hey. 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 Wow. Lil pump in the cut. Hey, gang shit, 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 gang shit. I had no plans to make it in America. If you're here because of the net, why? Known just how wildly popular trauma was going to be in the context of comedy, I might have budgeted my shit a bit better. <laughs> but I went and put all my trauma eggs into one basket like a fucking idiot, and now here we are. <laughs> when I first started touring here, I was told I should Americanize my language, to which I responded, fuck off. <laughs> some concessions for you. I'm not a monster. Aluminum? Mm-hmm. Why would you say aluminium when you can flirt it? Aluminum? Stop it, America. And y'all? I'm taking y'all. I love y'all. Because y'all is the best, most inclusive, second-person plural pronoun in the English-speaking world. You the South. What an ally. Yeah, not going to watch that. 
Barring COVID-19, LGBT Pride Nights would have exploded onto minor league baseball scene. Oh, that would have been so important. Had the coronavirus not interrupted the plans, LGBT advocates are about to engulf minor league baseball with their propaganda. The number of Pride Nights are going to explode to an all-time high and result service to humanity by LGBT pressure groups was going to be off the charts, says Ken Schultz, writing for SB Nation. In 2017, minor league baseball hadn't yet been infiltrated by homosexual, bisexual, and transgender advocates. There were just 20 Pride Night stages in minor league ballparks. Note the imaginary at the Bull Durham's game last year when the team hosted its first Pride Night. This year, the minor leagues are going to quadruple from 217 from from 2017 to 81 nights, creating euphoria among the gay crowd and making roads in conservative religious communities. LGBT activists are going to do their small part to make the world a better place, Schultz implied. In small, rural, and conservative areas, a minor league pride night is not just a successful promotion. It's a time where a rural town's LGBTQ population can be welcomed and celebrated without fear or need to hide who they are. Once again, you took the Juno chick, did a gay tour of America, and the South... Every one of your gay people said they loved living there and they were accepted even in the churches. This is once again your perception. You believe it's hard to be gay in the South. But it's not because nobody gives a rat fuck. Nobody cares. You can be gay. Be gay all day long. We don't give a fuck if you're gay. We just don't. But these people go batshit crazy pushing their agenda. And they base it off where you live. Maybe where you live it's bad. Where I live, we see gay people all the time. We don't really give a rat fuck. Then there's this one, a Tony winner for the band's visit. Katrina Lenk first made waves with queer women when she played a lesbian in the acclaimed play Indecent. This year she plays a romantic interest for Eddie Falco's lesbian police chief in the CBS series series, Tommy. Most recently cast traditional male role of Bobby and Company like all Broadway stars. Lenk's been sidelined performance in front of live audience, but she recently paid homage to Steven Sondheim for his birthday with the version of Sweeney Todd's Joanne. And it sounds a little like this. I'm not playing the whole thing. Perhaps I had a wicked childhood. Perhaps I had a miserable Somewhere in my wicked, miserable past There must have been a moment of truth Perhaps I had a wicked childhood You know... As a normal, I, I gotta go crazy sometimes. And so this is probably gonna come across as really mean. But on top of the advocate today, 
Beckett Cipher, son of Melissa Etheridge and Julie Cipher, dead at 21. Well, I don't want to be a dick, but they definitely, that's not their son. You may have raised him, but you didn't make him. This is how twisted our world has gotten. I understand gay people raise kids. They adopt kids. I'm not against any of that. A kid that can get adopted is a great thing. But you're not making the child. But in our twisted media, that's their baby. It's their baby. Because we have gone so far past reality with this gay mafia shit that we're saying two dicks make a baby and two vaginas do. No, they don't. It's called biology. And I just don't understand. Those headlines is the first thing I think. No, that wasn't your kid. You may have raised it. If you adopted it, yeah. But one of you had a sperm donor. That's all I'm saying. My original This Is America, which got bumped, and I was going to do it on another show, but I'm not doing too bad on time. If a Republican wrote this kind of thing, a gun owner, a Christian, it'd be national news. But when a gay group writes it, we don't even bat an eye. But this is why, uh, this is one of my reasons why I can never be a Democrat. i got to be quite honest, or even a Republican, because sometimes Republicans go into the hyperbole that's just over the fucking top. Um, this is the... Gr- This is the biggest election of our lifetime. They've been saying that since Al Gore lost. Alright? And they probably said it before, but I just wasn't listening. But this is an article on The Advocate, gay website, that was published May 12th. November election will determine what kind of nation we will be. Now understand, gay marriage is legal. Almost every state has laws. You can't discriminate against gay people. We just don't have a, a gay rights thing, which is their new thing, because they just want to keep shoving it down your neck. Gay adoptions are legal. I mean, there's really, we talk about it on the show all the time, there is no discrimination against gay people. Gay people have usurped African Americans who still get fucked over in certain areas of this country, Latinos who get fucked over in certain areas of the country. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's not as wide scale as they say they are. There are they are the group, and a black transgender man who's trying to wear a dress and high heels. You are the number one protected class in America. So I don't know what's wrong with America, but unless we have a gay president or a black president or a Latino president. All these groups who say they're out to get racist and fascist and Nazis, they say we're a shit-ass country. So here's this article. It was written by Susan Scherf, Surftone. And we start right off with Abraham Lincoln. So there you go. That's, that says it all. It's the intersectionality. Abraham Lincoln gave his famous house divided against itself cannot stand speech on June 16th, 1858 for the Republican State Convention in Illinois. He was a Republican candidate for the U.S. Senate. He lost Democrat Stephen A. Douglas. This issue fractured the nation with slavery. Lincoln went on to say the Union would not be dissolved, it would not fall, but it will become all one thing or all the other. This is exactly the predicament our country is now facing the deadly COVID-19 pandemic. With a divisive, controversial minority president, 
up for re-election. What nation will we choose to be in November? Once again, he wasn't a minority president. He won the electoral college handedly. And you can't count the 3.5 illegal votes in fucking California. Not all of them, but Jesus fucking Christ. That was Hillary's popular win. Because once again, you got to win in your state. So New York and California, Washington, Oregon, yeah, that might have been a majority, but you still only get electoral votes, wingbats. As we know, Donald Trump rules by dividing us. You see the projection? Democrats always divide. That's how they win. Three and a half years in his presidency, can't be said he actually governs from the Oval Office. He rules by trickery, even cajoling his people to risk death by virus to create the illusion of healthy back-to-normal economy to support his re-election. It's pretty normal where I live, but okay. Everything about Trump's an illusion. It's fragmented, confusing double talk from the podium creates a disjointed failed strategy for containing and then mitigating COVID-19. With over 80,000 Americans dead, as I write, and more dead when you read this, the virus is clearly winning. More Americans have died in the raging pandemic than gave Trump his razor-thin margin for his electoral college win. Trump, happy talk, has turned dangerous, according to him. We're warriors. He persuades us to buy into his dire need to get the economy moving again. He does not want to be a one-term president. will risk your life to win the second term. Leading by example, he will not wear a mask, convince his followers not to wear a mask either, placing those of us who respect science in increased danger when we venture from our homes. Once again, Tony Koch, in my area, it's not conservatives not wearing the mask. A mask is a concession to the fact that the virus is deadly and real, yet a COVID-19 invades the White House. He blows up at his staff for not protecting him when his military valet tests positive. His supporters do not see through this farce and extol the need to risk human life in order to get America back to work and normal again. Many Republican governors agree and can't reopen quickly enough, disregarding the Centers for Disease Control Prevention Guidelines set by the, his own administration. Too many states are rolling the dice to please the president. No, they're not. They're rolling their dice because their people are telling them. And they fear as increasingly aggressive supporters willing to ignore logic, reason, and science because Trump says so. Those of us not taken in by the lies and we were not in 16 are unwilling to participate in this madness but must face an increased threat of COVID infection as mitigation efforts are curtailed. We're divided over deadly virus that continues to kill us and led by a president who deems, who doesn't seem to mind as long as his interests are served. A country can't be more divided than that, can it? William Barr, Attorney General, makes Department Justice policy to prevent overreach by governors and local authorities who want to protect their citizens. Barr tells Americans they need to adapt, not cower at home, and fires off a memo to U.S. attorneys to monitor state and local policies and take action if correction is needed. He wants to protect your liberty to place yourself and everyone around you are infected in harm's way. We don't yet have sufficient testing, blah, blah, blah. But then they go into Flynn. Senate Minority Leader McConnell is busy pushing 37-year-old Justin Walker, a fellow Kentuckian, a former clerk to Brett Kavanaugh, to seat on an all-important court of appeals with D.C. court. COVID-19 can wait. Louis DeJoy, a top Trump donor and the head of the fundraising for the Republican National Convention of Charlotte, North Carolina, is to become a new postmaster general while Trump seeks to destroy the U.S. Postal Service, either to get back at Jeff Bezos, owner of the Washington Post, as well as Amazon, or to make voting by mail impossible in November and maybe a bit of both. 
as a nation divided by a minority Republican Party desperate to hold on to power and an immoral president, we've been pushed into the abyss by self-serving bungling of the federal government's response to the pandemic. The November election will determine if we climb out of the abyss or fall further into it. It is all of one or all of the other. It dovetails nicely with the end of our last show, where they have just forgotten, they impeached him, they forgot Russia. They have gone straight in to our win is going to come on the backs of COVID. If we use this, we can win the White House. When the average American goes, well, Obama had more infections. We didn't blame him. I mean, it was way worse. But you didn't do all this. And all the presumptions of saying the president, that's what they say. And I love it because the reality is Rainbow Coalition, GLAD, Planned Parenthood, Moms Against Guns, Barack Obama. Those people fall blindly in step with whatever those people say. They're not sheep. They just agree with the person. That's what we say in our media. But the very small slice of severely devout Trumps, they're all sheep, Nazis, that whatever he says he does. And they've been allowed for basically three years to say it's a cult. He's the cult master, and they just want to kill black, brown, and gay people. And nobody pushes back to, well, I don't think everybody in these protests in California were conservative, or Michigan, or Chicago, or Massachusetts, or fucking New York, predominantly liberal places. Governors aren't going along with Trump. They're going with the photo. A third of the deaths are in New York and New Jersey. A third of the deaths are in the East Coast enclave. And a third of the deaths are the rest of the goddamn country. You live in a bubble and you can't see that. You can't see that we only have 15,000 infections in the whole state of Tennessee. Our death rate is 200 people per 1,000. Not even that. It's way lower. We don't even have... I think we only... Well, how many deaths do we have? It doesn't fucking matter. The point of the matter is, it's not enough to keep us closed. There's not enough infection. And because you listen to only CNN and all that shit, you don't understand that the cities with infection aren't opening. They're not opening... They're still in full lockdown. Because that's how Republican governors did it. But, you know, reporting that and being honest, well, that's something we're just not going to do because it doesn't go with Trump's the cult leader and all these Nazis just fall along with their fucking tiki torches. Everything is racist. According to me, everything is racist.
itself is a struggle, and to go through that struggle with people forms a very powerful basis for solidarity. There is nothing like standing around a table and we count down the minutes and seconds in order to break the fast. This year, unfortunately, there will be no such gatherings. Ramadan is the holy month that Muslims uh, practice. We fast from sunup to sundown. What it signifies for us is the revelation of the Quran and is one of the five pillars of Islam. It's compulsory for almost all observance of the religion, except for elders, children, and people who cannot participate for health reasons. I wake up early in the morning before dawn, I eat a small meal, pray, and then I go about my daily responsibilities like work and school and look forward to breaking the fast at sunset. The tradition is to break the fast with fellow Muslims, and these meals or dinners are often referred to as iftar. And then go to your evening prayers, and then go to the masjid or your mosque and do tarawih. And that is the Ramadan prayers. That presents a unique problem, of course, this year with this pandemic crisis. I met with, with several imams, and, and of course they're cooperating under the restrictions of both the mayors and the governors, and so we want to be respectful as well. I will certainly miss the camaraderie. The spiritual rejuvenation that many of us get from this observation is something that you really can't describe. You have to experience it. The thing that I would look forward to in terms of the community is the weekend. Like, that's when it's on and popping. <laughs> like, I remember being a kid and one of my aunties, she had a brownstone in bedside, and she would have an iftar, and it'd be so full of people, full of light. And so as an adult, you know, that's what you look forward to those weekends, and even friends will send these, like, save the dates <laughs> before Ramadan even starts. But now that the Rona, right, is upon us, yeah, that's gonna change. For me, avoiding gatherings is not just respecting and protecting people's lives, but it is also an act of obedience to God. We are already talking about having virtual iftars, where Muslims will sign into various platforms and celebrate the breaking of the fast in one's home uh, amongst other Muslims virtually. We are all using things like Zoom, we're also, of course, all of social media in the Islamic community, in the black community. Surveillance has always been something that is top of mind for many people. It really makes people a little weary of having to engage in too much fellowship in a very visible space. But that said, people are still trying to communicate with each other, trying to figure out how to engage in things. I'm looking forward to more structured days that allow me time to reflect, to imagine, to create, and to socialize in healthier ways. Ramadan is so much more than just not eating or drinking throughout the day. It is really reflection, introspection, also thinking about the greater community. The blessing for many Americans is, is that unlike people in third world countries have running water, in many cases, uh, electricity. And so it allows us hopefully to become more acutely attuned to the needs of the poor. And there are many people who are fasting across the world involuntarily because
because of economic distress. Charity goes a lot of ways. So there is the financial support you give people, but there are other ways to be charity. You know, there's a famous tradition of the Prophet Muhammad where he says a smile is charity, right? And so I think we can think about Ramadan and charity in new ways too. And so how can I be kind to people, the people in my home, you know, that I'm living with and all the time now? And really, I think sometimes some of the people were hardest on ourselves. And so maybe the charity not only starts at home, but starts with you. Considering the fact that a lot of people are food insecure, economically insecure, job insecure, really kind of can degrade a lot of people's experience. That said, we're all trying to look forward to and engage in this holiday. Ramadan is a holiday that Muslims actually look forward to because of the blessings that we do believe that we get from participating in the holiday. And I look forward to trying to navigate it with the rest of my community. Once again, I, I just play that because black Muslims, they don't care about the rest of it. The actual article, Ramadan 2020, COVID-19, how will black Muslims be effective? During this time, as far as I'm concerned, the entire earth is a masjid or place of prayer. And I feel like I should be able to find God wherever I am. And for me, avoiding gathering is not just respecting and protecting people's lives, but it's also an act of obedience to God. Zahir Ali. But the article is all about black Muslims. Just black Muslims. So if somebody did a white Christian soundbite, it would be national news. But NBC's The Root. Yeah, okie dokie, artichokey. Just keep playing it. I can't take it serious when The View does this. And this soundbite comes with more Whitmer. Because they just fucking love them some goddamn Whitmer. And they worry Whitmer is a target for violence from racist Nazis. These protesters, are they hindering the state's ability to contain the virus in any way? Well, I'll start with this. You know, Michigan is a state of almost 10 million people, and the vast majority of people in my state are doing the right thing, and they are taking this seriously. I am going to stay tethered to the science, the epidemiology. I'm going to make decisions based on facts, not based on, you know, political rhetoric or tweets for that matter. We're going to stay focused because what we're doing is working. We have seen our trajectory drop. We have seen our ability to test ramp up, and the number of positives continue to decline. What we're doing is working. So these protests, they do undermine the effort. And it's very clearly a political statement that is playing out where people are coming together from across the state. They are congregating. They are not wearing masks. They are not staying six feet apart. And then they go back home into communities. And the risk of perpetuating the spread of COVID-19 is real. We've seen it happen. And that's why, you know, while I respect people's right to dissent, they need to do it in a way that is uh, responsible and does not put others at risk. Governor, you know, I was really struck by the fact that you've described the protests as some of the worst racism and awful parts of our history. And you even said that there were swastikas, Confederate flags and nooses present. On a recent call, you asked Vice President Pence if he could discourage the protesters. Do you think you will get his support and given Trump's tweets to liberate Michigan, um, make a deal with protesters, do you feel the administration is helping fuel the fire here? Well, I do think that the the fact of the matter is 
these protests, um, you know, in a in a perverse way, make it likelier that we're going to have to stay in a stay home posture. The whole point of them supposedly is that they don't want to be doing that. And that's why I'm asking that everyone with a platform call on people to do the right thing. You know, these have been um, these have been really political rallies where people come with Confederate flags and Nazi symbolism and and calling for violence. This is not uh, appropriate in a global pandemic, but it's certainly not an exercise of, of democratic principles where we have free speech. This is calls to violence. This is uh, racist and misogynistic. And I ask that everyone who has a platform uses it to call on people to observe the best practices promulgated by the CDC and to stop encouraging this behavior because it only makes it that much more precarious for us to try to re-engage our economy, which is what everyone says they want us to be able to do. Governor Whitmer, this is Sarah. Sarah, you've become the target of vicious, violent private Facebook Facebook groups that say you should be beaten and lynched. Some of those people plan to attend a rally uh, at the state capitol this Thursday. And also this week, the Capitol Commission delayed a decision on banning firearms. Are you at all fearful for your uh, personal safety? Since 2008 till now... Calling somebody racist or Nazi or whatever, man, you guys have just degraded it to the point where nobody pays attention anymore. You've lost the power, the fear, the ability to just stop people in their tracks. It just doesn't work. Then you have douchebags like Tory, offended by black Trump voters, attempting to shame black conservative Antonio Okafor, covered for voting for Trump and claiming to care the, about black people. Turi no longer has a steady gig, but that doesn't mean he's been slacking off on here's what's racist beat. Let's set the scene first. Conservative gun rights advocate Antonia Okafor Cover, who happens to be a black woman, tweeted earlier today about a Pew Research study conducted earlier this year that found that most black Democrats do not identify as liberal. Her tweet... Pew research shows that up to 70% of black people identify as conservative, debunking the myth that black people just don't get it. They get it. They just don't want to join our side. So how do we change that? Clarification. Sorry, guys. In the case of being transparent, the specifics are that black Democrats alone identify as either being moderate or conservative. Only 29% say they're liberal. And she, she sent the whole survey. The study found that 43% of black Democrats identify as moderate, while 25% identify as conservative. Turi took issue with the notion that black Democrats could identify as conservative while voting Democrat. This is clearly bullshit. How could this poll find 70% of black people identify as conservative when elections after election for decade, 90 to 95% black people vote Democrats? Shermichael Singleton, well, ideology, value, belief systems, a party affiliation aren't necessarily the same. In 2019, about 4 in 10 black Democrat voters called themselves moderate, while smaller share described themselves as conservative or liberal. His reply, that's fair, but that's nowhere near 70% of people define themselves as politically conservative, which we both know is not true. What we also both know is true is that few black conservatives there are sometimes lie about how many there is. Antonia Okafor. 
And then the numbers do show that politically black people very rarely see say they're liberal, which is the ideology that usually correlates with the Democratic Party. That still doesn't explain why 90% of black people vote Dem. I've been conservative in values. First of all, it baffles me in a true attempt to criticize the right about failure and outreach you choose to get mad because you don't like the fact that I said black people are conservative. Second, never said they are politically conservative, but culturally, we obviously are. Ture. The first problem is with the right is not outreach, it's racism. The overt racism in many of its policies and some of its people's total deal breaker. This is not a branding problem, it's an identity problem. She replies, no it's not. As many people believe in socially conservative values, which the Democratic Party does not support, you're telling me there are policies inherently and specifically black in identity. Please tell me. I have an idea, but I won't put words in your mouth. Christian, traditional marriage, pro-life, voted for Obama twice, but voted Republican last time. Two very different things. Wait, you're black and you voted for Trump? Wow. That's what he said. So you called me out and didn't even bother to know something about me. It's simple. I voted for Republican nominee after fully supporting Rand Paul because I was very devout conservative values. That, after becoming Christian, couldn't reconcile with the Dem Party. Ture. How did you reconcile being Christian and voting for Trump, both personally and politically, should be offensive to your Christian values? See, this guy's just a typical liberal hater. Her reply, I couldn't vote for a party that is pro-abortion, not moderate. Degrades people for having Christian values and doesn't believe I have the right to defend myself. Also, I don't believe big government policies help our people. Ture. The Democratic Party does not believe you don't have the right to defend yourself. That's just fiction. Democratic Party is not against the Second Amendment. It's against the NRA in favor of some checks on the Second and the fanatical NRA fear-monger against. Yet, here I am. Anti-drug war, pro-school choice, pro-criminal justice reform, and pro-gun and pro-life because I believe those policies help our community. I believe low taxes allow greater opportunity for black entrepreneurship and businesses if one is consistent with their... And it got cut off. Hib, if you're truly anti-drug war, the GOP is not the place for you. If you're truly pro-criminal justice reform, you can't seriously say you expect that from the GOP. Trump passed the bill. But once again, he doesn't pay attention to that. Are you in favor of black people actually voting? Because the GOP's not. <laughs> Other replies. Every time you vote for the GOP, you're voting for the drug war and against criminal justice reform. Every time. Her reply, so Rand Paul doesn't exist and the Clintons are not the reason why, why mandatory minimums in the 90s is the reason why my dad served 20 years for drug crime? Don't do that. Be honest about the failings of your party. I'll be honest about mine. Her, his reply, you name one outlier Republican politician and that's supposed to absolve the party. You voted for Trump three years ago and seemed like you lining up to do it again. How do you reconcile his overt racism with voting for him? Her reply, sorry, who passed the first step back? Give credit where it's due. Van Jones will even tell you that. But you're right. I probably would have voted Libertarian last time if it weren't for the anti-gun VP pick. I'm saying that there's diversity within every party. Ture. First step, are you serious? The entire direction of criminal justice over the past 35 years has been set by Republicans. No, it wasn't. Her. I call out racism when I see it. I made the best choice for myself at the time. I don't blindly support anybody. There were a lot of dissatisfaction with people who voted for Obama when his promises never came to fruition and my values changed. So I voted for a party, not for a party, but for values. 
His reply, you cannot say I call out racism when I see and I made the best choice for myself and voted for Trump. That makes no sense. The core of Trump's appeal is racism, white supremacy, white victimhood, white privilege. Do you not notice Trump's racism or do you just not accept it? Um, how about we do this? Agree to disagree. You're an adamant that I am not for my people because I voted based on my conservative values. More than likely, you see me as just another Candace Owens. That's unfortunate. Because I'm very different from that. <clears throat> His reply. How do you reconcile voting for Trump and claiming to care about black people? You can't. I can agree to disagree about conservatism helping black people, but Trump is not ideological. He's pro-white supremacy and voted for him and still stand beside him. Trump is an existential threat to black lives. He's also about white supremacy. I cannot agree to disagree about Trump. I'm offended by black people voters, and I've yet to hear a black Trump voter can explain why any logical, honest way, which makes it worse. Her reply. If you can't see that me voting based on my personal values is not logic based, then yes, we will never agree to disagree. I'm sorry that I offend you so much. I'm pro-life and pro-gun, so I'm not going to vote for someone who is adamantly against those values. Then Carol Joyce Oates agrees with Ture. Whenever we think it can't get worse, becomes more blatant and transparent, it does. There is a genocide of inaction and indirection. Why do I read such a long scribe? Well, that's what happens to any African American that steps out. But her premise is true. Yes, I vote Republican just for the same reason she does. It's a values thing. I don't like either party. But I see that they're going to try to curtail live birth abortions. They're going to protect my gun rights. They're for smaller government. And they're not going to turn everything into the Green New Deal and we all have to be gay. The values of the liberals are with math. Minor attracted people. Why would I vote for that? I can't. And then it breaks out to this next article, which pretty much sums up a lot of what's wrong with our country and my idea. Most people think like Tory. You can't say Trump's a white supremacist. You're taking a 1940 America First group and you're labeling him because he did a motto of make America great. That's what you went with. And it's disingenuous. And then you just keep going down. Hey, Van Jones even said he did a great job. He turned back some Clinton criminal justice. But people like him? No. Because Ture hates white people. He'll never admit it, but he just does. Five facts about black Democrats. Since 2000, black Democrats' self-reported ideologies remain relatively stable and moderate. It's her poll. Same numbers. Two, black Democrats express high level of religiosity and hold positive views of religions and institutions. That doesn't line up with liberal Democrats. That doesn't lie with Torrey. They think you're believing in a fake idea. They don't believe in God. Three, black Democrats are more likely than others in the party to view racism as being a very big problem in the country. That's not true. That poll might have said that. But who's the first to cry racism? Take out the Torres and all these race hustlers. It's a white liberal. <clears throat> the view... And it's usually not whoopee talking. They claim everything's racist. Four, 
About four in ten black Democrats want a Democratic president to push hard on policy, even if it makes it hard to get things done. Five, black Democrats hold intensely negative views of Donald Trump and his policies. And I disagree with that. I just disagree with that statement. They, that might be what their poll says. But I, I just don't know how many people I've seen on my Twitter feed that are African-American are saying, I'm done with the Democratic Party. Just for the same reason she was talking about. They're linked to abortion. They're linked to fucking everything that isn't them. It's it's painful to watch. It's just painful. Next we have uh, Soundbite. This is another one of those fear porns. An African American nurse doing a video. I checked this hospital. It was never overrun. I am going to start my shift. Most of our beds are taken up by intubated patients, meaning patients who can't breathe on their own and who are on the ventilator. Almost everybody is on oxygen, and uh, almost everybody is a COVID patient. A patient who looks like he's having a lot of respiratory distress. Um, he looks like he's breathing at like 40 a minute. He's got a non-rebreather on, but he looks really bad. So we're going to call respiratory down, and we're going to intubate him. We're going to put him on a ventilator. I to point out how we have our IVs set up so that uh, our nurses can get some protection by only using medications and hanging things outside the room instead of having to go in every time they need to change something on the pole. Things have gotten a lot better now that we've been able to transfer patients, take admitted patients. Some of them are going to Central Park to the hospital there. Some of them are going to our other sites, and that's really helped kind of offload from our department. But we're still full. Sometimes you just got to step up for a second. You know, before this whole thing, we used to have a differential diagnosis of 21-year-old male with nausea and vomiting. What that could be is that, you know, appendicitis or gastritis, pancreatitis or something like that. But now everybody everywhere is a suspect for COVID. We have a full ICU. We have every patient in here on a ventilator. Well, my day's over. Well, my hospital day is over. Um, it, was, it wasn't the worst day I've had, but it's always pretty draining. It's always pretty hard to deal with um, scared people, sick people, people who may not have a lot of health literacy, people who may not have a lot of resources. Um, it's just, it's hard. It's hard to think that some of your patients that you diagnosed today might not be here tomorrow when you come back for your shift or, you know, um, all of it. It's fear porn. <clears throat> they're doing this because, once again, politics. That's the only reason why they're doing it. Only reason why they're doing it. It is just to scare people to stay home. Too liberal shit.
Come on down! You're the next contestant on Liberal Shit! Scott King to Jill Soloway. These are just a few notable feminists who improve the lives of women everywhere. Ladies, this semester, your final grade depends on proof that you fought the patriarchy. I want a full report on a glass ceiling you tried to shatter by next Friday. What does that even mean? Uh, Miss Perez, what, what do the boys have to do? I don't care. The boys can just draw a picture of a lightsaber or something. You might as well learn now that life is just easier for you. I could play something every week for Netflix. It's just fucking horrible. But this is Hulu. Which I tried to turn back on, and I just there's just nothing to watch. So <clears throat> I did that Disney Plus bullshit. And I'm probably gonna shut it off because I thought it'd be better than it is, but we haven't watched anything. New Hulu cartoon mocks Bible fights patriarchy. Solar opposites from the creator of Cartoon Network's Rick and Morty, as to be expected for the writers whose previous work appeared on CN's Adult Swim. Solar opposites both vulgar and violent, perhaps less expected. The show delves in gender politics. The show is about four aliens who land on Earth about a meteor after a meteor hits their home planet. Its creators like to take pot shots at religion, particularly Christianity. In episode five, the Levatic reactor head alien Corvo claims Christ was an alien. His assistant Terry actually turns a textbook into the Holy Bible using a dumb ray. The show avoids specifically political topics with episode six, Patriot Patricia device when the aliens family two kids um, receive assignments at school and they talk about the patriarchy and yeah it's just yeah there you go mm-hmm. that's it Benjamin Watson plugs pro-life documentary in Washington Post interview which is just rare then Washington Post does it so much of the activism activism of the NFL is directed towards social justice but recently Benjamin Watson provided a refreshing exception to the norm. A devout pro-life Christian who played Bro Ball from 2004 to 19 produced a pro-life documentary called Divided Hearts of America. Believe it or not, the Washington Post gave Watson an opportunity to plug it on Sunday on page A6. In an interview, Watson, appearing in a scene for the film, turned sports feature writer Kent Babb's question about activism into an opportunity to speak about the movie. Produced by Movie to Moment, excuse me, Movie to Movement, Watson conducted 40 interviews of the film to be released in theaters later this year. The movie's website said Divided Hearts of America powerfully exposes the brutality of abortion and the American abortion industry and showcases the beauty and dignity of every human life. I'm going to try to find that and do a review because what you usually get <coughs> is the following. Abortion is beautiful, activists claim, an ugly online article. On Monday, the pro-abortion website Rewire published a literary essay titled Abortion is Beautiful that ruminated a beauty and abortion. So here it goes. In this excerpt from Choice Words and Finch Anthology of Abortion Literature, author Nicole Walker contemplates the beauty or lack thereof in abortion. It's hard to write about write anything beautiful about abortion. I can see the beauty in snapping off a couple of yellow flowers to give more energy to the current tomato plant to grow. I can see the beauty in pulling off the dead petals of a geranium. I can see the beauty in cutting off a branch that sucks too much water from the main trunk of an apple tree, but it's hard to see the beauty in suctioning out a fetal tissue. Perhaps the perhaps the image 
becomes too medical right off the bat. Make it narrative. Is there beauty in the waiting room? Beauty in stirrups? Beauty in ultrasounds? I've had two abortions. One when I was 11 and I was in 21. The one when I was 21 was much more beautiful than the first. In Portland, Oregon, there's some kind of advanced thought about abortion. The doctors inserted flags of seaweed into your cervix to let it expand naturally. The lights are dimmed. It's not, it's still not beautiful, but it's not punitive. Perhaps if the abortion is not natural, that makes it hard to find beauty, but the flowers snapping, the petal pulling, the branch cutting, it's natural either, and petals and branches are supposedly natural. A skirt can be beautiful. A blanket, a bowl. If you call abortion miscarriage, or maybe optional miscarriage, would it be more beautiful? If we had the, to opt into a pregnancy or you would automatically be opted out like registering for health benefits, you may not have, which might cause you to opt out of the pregnancy. Would that make the choice easier or harder? Have na- nature stopped pregnancy progressing and instead stayed still until you checked the go-ahead pregnancy box? Would the choice seem as sinister? Why is choosing an ending morally more troubling than choosing a beginning? I don't think it is death that robs abortion of its beauty. Many deaths have poignancy and significance to sit beside your mother as you hold her hand while her breathing slows and slows and stops is beautiful. Beautiful that you got to be there. Beautiful that the moment was charged with meaning. But the fetus doesn't know it's alive. Its hands are not holdable. Is a choice yes always more beautiful than the choice no? Do I choose to have my current children? I mean these very children. I choose to try to get pregnant, or at least not to try hard to. I don't know that a fetus would be Zoe. I didn't know a fetus would be Max. They are beautiful to be sure, but was the choice itself beauty? I can't pinpoint the moment of choice, so it's hard to say. There were beautiful moments being pregnant, but I think I may have borrowed that beauty from a TV show I once watched, and who Zoe and Max are as very little to do with the beauty I pregnantly fantasize. I cannot make abortion beautiful even when I think of my children that I would not have had had I not had the abortion. I did. It's still not beautiful that I went to college and that I went to PhD school or that I'm writing this right now. It's not beautiful that I was 11 years old. It was not beautiful at all when the doctor said, you're too young to be having sex. And I was like, yes, that's true. You should tell the guy who molested me. But she was right. I was too young. And I'm not reading anymore. It goes on for a very long time. It's supposed to make abortion beautiful. Because to these people, they believe I can't have the kids I had if I had the kid then. It's fucking a sickness. But it's always somebody that was molested. So then the second one they don't talk about. And as we do our clock, there are very few people with rape abortions. It's minuscule compared to the, this is my fourth abortion because I don't use birth control. USA Today fact checker slams life news stretch to call Planned Parenthood abortion business. See how invested the media is? Nine fact checkers selected by liberal source funded Pointer Institute control what news stories are supposed to suppressed on Facebook. For Life News Com, this means that stories that label Planned Parenthood as an abortion business are singled out and fact-checked by liberal outlets like USA Today. 
To call it an abortion business is a stretch as the organization provides other services for far more often. That's what they say. The fact checker rated life news story as partially false. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers wants to force residents to fund Planned Parenthood abortion business. Governor Tony Evers announced today that he will force state residents to fund the Planned Parenthood abortion business as part of the state budget. The so-called Health Woman Healthy Baby Initiative would restore funding to the nation's biggest abortion company that kills 330,000 babies in abortion annually. Wisconsin Right to Life condemned the proposal in a statement to Life News. We agree, Governor Evers, we can't have healthy communities without healthy women and babies. And the first step is ensuring they are safe and healthy and guaranteed. Planned Parenthood is not involved in destruction of lives through abortion access across our great state, shared Heather Weinger, Executive Director of Wisconsin's Right to Life. It is a crying shame that Governor Evers has Tony... Tanya Atkinson, the president and CEO of Planned Parenthood, on its Health Policy Advisory Council, including its current initiative. The abortion giant is set to get even more of your taxpayer dollars. It looks like Planned Parenthood will have a steady stream of taxpayer revenue with the Evers administration. I would like to help you connect the dots, Governor Evers. It is impossible to have healthy babies when Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in our country and state. For children to have a healthy beginning, we must allow them to be born. Wisconsin Right to Life will continue to work to ensure that Title 10 changes that were passed in the law are followed and that women and babies truly are served in Wisconsin. There are federally qualified health centers throughout the state which are better suited to provide women the full realm of health care as well as the care for their unborn children than any of the 21 Planned Parenthood facilities in Wisconsin. Jesus fucking Christ. It was published on 21, uh, 21, February 21st, 2019. <clears throat> However, the May 5th, 2020 fact check still suppressed the content posted to LifeNews.com Facebook page. Makes clear that when the page gets a strike from the fact checker, that it will be throttle the page content. After USA Today released its false strike against Life Size News Story, our traffic has clearly declined. It's ridiculous that Facebook censors con- content, excuse me, Facebook censors content and limits views based on false and misleading fact checks. But that's that's what they do. That's that's what they do. That that's just that's just what they do. They don't call it a business, even though it makes one point five trillion dollars worldwide. But it's not a business, you say. Oh really? Really? Sorry. I, I, I muted my phone and it unmuted itself. Let me turn my thing off. What it's like to cross Louisiana coronavirus checkpoint. This, this one's good, too. A lot happened between March 6th when Sam traveled 200 miles to get an abortion and April 3rd when she crossed four states for a follow-up. Last weekend, she sent me a photograph taken with her phone of a hand-painted sign outside an American family planning clinic in Pensacola, Florida. Bigger than the typical warning about baby killing and photographs of bloody fetuses, it read, High Coronavirus Risk Zone. Every time the door of the clinic opened, you could hear them yelling, yelling, Sam says. The protesters were rowdier that day, almost six weeks ago, when she decided to cross state lines for medical abortion. The decision was an obvious one. There's currently one clinic authorized to perform the procedure in the city where she lives in Louisiana. Uh, in Louisiana, informed consent laws mean women who want an abortion are required to read pamphlets about fetal development and wait 24 hours between when they have an appointment and when they can receive care. I have a couple different friends who were told told me they had abortions in New Orleans. Most of their stories are horrific. 
Sam didn't want the counseling about her options. She wanted medication that would terminate a pregnancy. I was already having a hard time talking, taking, talking to my people. I had a lot of head stuff going on, she said. Her family wouldn't approve, which is why Sam asked her full name not to be printed. Recently, my aunt called me and told me she had a dream I was pregnant. Rather than run through the series of appointments, look at rendering of her fetus in Louisiana, Sam Googled abortion clinics in the South and called one of the first she found, which happens to be Florida Clinic, where abortion doctor John Britton has, was killed in 1994 and with the homeless, which a homeless man firebombed in 2012. Hey, is this a thing where I can just come in? Yes, but expect to be here all day, an administrator warned. Sam and her partner made a little abortion getaway out of it. They drove the three and a half hours from New Orleans, Pensacola, and booked a hotel on a nearby stretch of scenic route in Nevada Beach. Navarro Beach is what she meant to say, because there is no Nevada Beach. <clears throat> the appointment was early afternoon, but the doctor flight didn't get in until 4.30. Sam felt fine afterwards, a little tired of partner not realizing she couldn't drink and purchased her two bottles of Malort, the bitter la- alco- liquor that reminded her of home. It was her first abortion. The beach was chillier than they'd expect. Sam visited some garden stores and the Crocs outlet and stared wistfully at the bottles of booze. She slept a lot. Then they went home. In New Orleans, Sam worked as a florist and server as what she characterized as glorified taco joint. Even by early March, when she scheduled that abortion, work had almost dried up or been temporarily put on hold. She was primarily living on unemployment at that point. Her partner helped her out. Must be good unemployment if you can rent a hotel. Her partner helped her out with the $595 for the abortion, which included the $100 discount for people traveling out of state. By the end of March, New Orleans had emerged from another vector of coronavirus infection. Throughout the month, COVID-19 cases grew, blah, 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 blah. Officials in Florida, where Sam needed to eventually return for a follow-up pointer, refused to close the beaches. See, intersectionality. Intersectionality, da, 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 da. Uh, let's get to the bottom. This is just killing me. Sam told her boss about checkpoints, seeing as if it was her Lexus they were driving with Louisiana plates, but no one has followed up yet to make sure she and her partner didn't remain clandestinely in the state. Sam is from Chicago originally. She remembered taking pamphlets from Planned Parenthood to Wicker Park and says she couldn't have imagined then that her own procedure at 29 would be this hard. Like people who haven't lived in the South, I was so naive. The laws are so not fair to the people down here. Women trying to find health care was such a mental nightmare. There are so many things to do. Taking all the steps she did would be nearly impossible now. Even making the decision to leave the house right now and drive four states over feels dangerous and weird. I can't imagine how Texas is navigating this right now. Sam also says she entertained, entertained becoming a clinic escort, but none of the websites she visited from Pensacola Waiting Room could tell her how. I, why do you think killing a baby should be so easy is the question nobody asks. Planned Parenthood, all these advocates, Democrats. Why? Why should it be so easy to do? Why should you just be able to go to a vending machine or at home? I mean, Jesus fucking Christ. You're ending a life. And all this bitching and moaning that it made it hard for you to do. It should be hard. It should not be easy to kill a life. These are the same crowd that believe we should have 95 fucking appeals for a guy DNA connected to killing somebody. That's what you believe. Seven, eight years down the road. 
but a fetus, I should be able to go to a vending machine. Simultaneously, this crowd will tell you, we're fucking up the climate. And once again, I play one every show. Here's your media saying it's so great that we're not outside and that we should never go back outside because the earth's better without us. Chris Livesay traveled to the city of water to see how nature is suddenly flourishing. Good morning. Now, as hard as the lockdown has been on all of us, there's one silver lining no one can deny. Staying at home has been largely good for the environment. And here in Venice, this lagoon city has returned to its pre-industrial tranquility. Venice, perhaps more than any other city under lockdown, has gone from one extreme to the other. The Rialto Bridge, the Grand Canal, even St. Mark's Square, deserted. Streets and canals usually awash with tourists. Now so still, nature is filling the void. Such a beautiful city, and it's lovely to see it empty, Gail, but it, as Chris said, it can't survive that way. Yeah, look at the human beings mucking everything up. I hope they can find a balance between the economy and the ecology. I hope they can work that out. Same crowd. Tatiana McGrath. Have any of the following apply to you? Straight, white, male. Your very existence is an act of violence and you owe me an apology. She's white. That stays on Twitter. Nothing wrong with that. Then to our culture wars, and I'm throwing it inside liberal shit because this is just how <clears throat> the left will cling to a kernel of something to make some shit. And the kernel of something, something is mask. Vox attempts to get to the bottom of what Trump's refusal to wear a mask says about white masculine America. Brianna G. Frank. Myself and other journalists here are being harassed for wearing masks. One man says it's submission, it's muzzling yourself. It looks weak, especially for men. We're being accused of fear-mongering, not knowing anything, and being pieces of shit. Now, before I read <clears throat> some of this article they did, it's very lengthy, so I want to read the whole thing. Um, on 3220... Vox. Oh, and face mask? You can pass on them. Masks are only useful if you have a respiratory infection already and want to limit the risk of spreading or if you're working in a hospital in direct contact with people who have respiratory illness. You do not need a mask to avoid coronavirus. Masks are only useful if you already have a respiratory infection and to avoid spreading it to others. They double-tweeted it. But now when they see, hey, Trump, we can bash him. We can bash white people. They write this fucking horse shit. <clears throat> I felt that it was a statement that people should know about, said Frank, whose tweet about the encounter went viral. To the crowd in front of the factory, said, mask are clearly symbolize something beyond. I'm trying to protect my health. They're not alone. Trump himself declined to wear a mask while being photographed at the plant through, though he claimed he wore one backstage. Mike Pence was screwed, blah, 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 blah. Mike Pence, yeah, Michigan State House, blah, blah, blah. And when Amer armed protesters showed up in Michigan State House on April 30th to protest stay-at-home orders amid the coronavirus pandemic, many were mask-free. 
One shouting, bare-faced man who was photographed at the rally later said it was not at all worried about the virus and would never wear a mask. Since the pandemic began, this issue of wearing masks has further exposed America's racial and gender prejudices. Because China is a race. Early on, wearing masks was associated with Asian countries and often dismissed because of the racist assumptions about those countries, they say. Even though you said not to wear masks. Then, as many cities began to require residents to wear masks, police began targeting black men for covering their faces, profiling them as criminals rather than people trying to abide by health guidelines. They linked to one incident. Just one. But that it's everywhere. And for a certain subset of mostly white conservative men, not wearing a mask seems to have become a hallmark of manliness. For unmasked protesters like the one in Michigan, there's an assumption of a kind of invincibility that is tied to the idea of white masculinity. Jonathan Metzl, professor of sociology and psychiatry at Vanderbilt, the author of Dying of Whiteness, How the Politics of Racial Resentment is Killing America's Heartland. And he lives in Nashville. Go fuck yourself. It's not just men, Frank noticed. Many women among the unmasked Trump supporters gathered at the Honeywell plant. And, of course, many men are happy to follow the recommendations of Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to cover the faces of the public. Still, a narrative has emerged on the right that wearing a mask is weak and refusing to wear one is somehow strong. And that narrative could put everyone at risk. One thing about being macho is being fearless. Millennial Price, a political science professor at Prairie View A&M, who's also a race hustler, but that fearlessness comes at a cost for every single person around you. The CDC recommends masks. Not everyone is listening. Long before the pandemic hit, masks were com- common in the East Asia countries where they've seen a multiple way to protect yourself and others from disease. As Refinery29's Connie Wang wrote in March, we're in China where the coronavirus outbreak began started requiring them in January. <clears throat> January. It broke in October. January. The U.S. was much slower to recommend masks to the general public, but in early April, what confirmed coronavirus cases jumped by the day, the CDC recommended that everyone wear a cloth mask in certain public settings. Someone's, some cities, like New York and Los Angeles, began mandating the wearing of masks in certain settings as well. Like much about the coronavirus, the impact of wearing masks or transmission isn't entirely clear. But many experts believe that even cloth masks can offer some degree of protection for wearer. The virus seems to spread when germ-containing droplets, blah, blah, blah. If one, everyone wears a mask, including those who are asymptomatic, but still be carrying the virus, it could halt the spread. Most Americans appear to be on board. A morning consult poll conducted March 7th through 9th, or April 7th through 9th, 72% of respondents said they plan to start wearing masks. Others, however, have chafed at the CDC advice as people around the country protest the state in shelter mask. One example is Michigan. They, they can only go to ones. One example. One person in Michigan. One black person. And then they generalize a clickbait, America's racist, white people suck. Yeah. That's what they do. Mayo Clinic, a Honeywell plant. Michigan woman was arrested last month that the police said she attacked a grocery store employee told her to leave because she wasn't wearing a mask. There's some evidence that men may view mask recommendations with more skepticism than women. In the April morning consult poll, 76% of women said they planned to wear a mask, but only 67% of men do. Though Trump narrative around the virus may be reinforcing gender stereotypes, the issue of masks is revealing is America's racial biases. 
while white men have been able to appear in public without masks, with guns, and with guns. As part of the protest, black men have been targeted. A Philadelphia officer was caught on video forcing to remove a black man from a bus for not covering his face just one day after the city began requiring it. Fabiola Sinias reported for Vox in April. And a police officer in Miami handcuffed and arrested Armin Henderson, a black doctor who tests homeless because he was told to stop doing it. It wasn't about his mask. But whites tell the truth. It's better to rile up racial resentment before an election. Black Americans often have to engage social distancing to make white people feel comfortable. And that's where I stop. I don't anymore. It goes on for everything. It's Trumps, it's Nazis, anybody who votes for them. If you're white, you're evil. This goes on for 10 pages of script. They take one incident here, one incident there, stir in some social justice dumb shit, and there you go. And they can get away with it. Oliver Darcy. How can Brett Baer be hosting a supposed straight news show while allowing... Hemingway to appear on a program and push the Obamagate stuff unchallenged with no opposing point of view. Ben Shapiro. CNN, and that's why it's there, is featuring Greta Thunberg as an expert panel on COVID-19. So maybe CNN should sit this one out. Oliver Darcy. She is donating $100,000 money she was awarded to help kids affected by coronavirus. It's not like she's being brought on as a medical expert. Ben Shapiro. She's not an expert on anything. Bill Gates donating millions to develop a vaccine, and he actually knows things about the vaccine. If signing checks gets you on CNN as an expert, I feel like you're watering down expertise rather than rather substantially. Oliver Darcy. Bill Gates has been on many times. Thunberg is trying to do a good thing by donating time money to help kids impact the coronavirus. Not sure why it's so terrible to highlight that work. Ben Shapiro. Dude, I didn't build this town hall this way. CNN did. And on the cover, coronavirus, fact and fears, you have um, one of the female expert, some dude, uh, Sanjay Gupta, and Thunberg. <clears throat> You're billing her as an expert. Oliver Darcy again. Yeah, well, she's one of the special guests. What am I missing? The replies <laughs> are fucking classic. Self-awareness, integrity, credibility, a lot apparently. Special guest, former CDC director, former HHS director, doctor, and a child. <laughs> Ooh, he's really just turning into seltzer with his coy act. Just take the loss, man. Everybody's been saying that lately. I love it. Wait, I thought Brian Seltzer and the media were whining when Trump didn't listen to medical experts. And to the left gets upset when we don't trust their anointed experts. Nothing screams, we're covering the coronavirus nonstop for your health and not ratings, like having Greta Thunberg on your town hall. This has got to be a joke, right? Why would CNN have a teenager on the expert panel discussing the coronavirus who doesn't even know anything about fucking climate? <laughs> Somebody says, they also had De Niro on to give his opinion on the president's mental health. They had Sean Penn on about the virus. But tell me more about straight news. 
So that makes two scientific subjects about which she's definitely not aware about anything are qualified. Amazing. There are so many people today who love science but also absolutely have no idea what it, it is should be renamed. Fear-mongering for the kids by the kids. Can't wait for Jake Tapper to invite communist China on stage as the hero of the pandemic. Blame Dana Loesch for the Wuhan coronavirus and then cite a violent riot against her. This is CNN and there you go. Because that was their last big town hall and it was the guns. They called her a witch and said she should be lynched and Jake Tapper never apologized. Rosanna Arquette rolls in. She's a leader in climate change and works with scientists worldwide. Pandemics will be a way of life until we address climate change seriously once and for all. She's a wise sage, smarter than any of the idiots running this country. And that's why she's coming on. It's just clickbait. Just fucking clickbait. Two, our lighter fare. stuck in quarantine, spiraling into madness, and that we're never going to financially recover from all the money that we've spent attempting to black out on alcohol instead of our own boredom. But uh, I've got the cure. The, the cure for the boredom problem, not, uh, not the other thing. Anyways, this one's called the quarantini. First off... What are you doing? I have to work from home. The office is closed. You know this. You're in a battle toads onesie. Okay, Logan, nobody on planet Earth is wearing real clothes right now. Showering is optional, crying is required, we don't know what day of the week it is, and time is just an artificial construct of human mentality. It's Tuesday. Just don't burn the house again. Every pandemic needs a healthy dose of bourbon, so we're going to add one ounce of that to our shaker full of ice. You know what makes your quarantine much shorter? Not being awake for now we're going to add one ounce of Jägermeister cold brew coffee liqueur. More booze? It's not even known yet. You know what? Social distancing in full effect. Get back six feet. Six hey, feet. Hey. Six feet. You know we use the same pooper, right? I'm going to lick every coffee mug in the cabinet. Now we're going to add a hefty dose of Lysol. Whoa. We're doing what now? I heard if you put it in there, if you get it, if you get it inside, it'll clean. No. No! Under no circumstances are you to put disinfectant inside your body! You're wrong! I am not wrong! You are wrong! I am not wrong! So I was wrong. We're gonna add one ounce of concentrated cold brew. I've got AK-47 here because it's fucking delicious, and you know what they say. Nothing pairs with anxiety quite like raising your caffeine intake to apocalyptic levels. Now we're gonna add a half ounce of Got the simple syrup. Well, I guess we're gonna have to go get some. God damn it. Syrup, and we're gonna shake this shit harder than you wanna shake that guy who ate a fucking bat. I mean, seriously, thank you for this. And finally, we're gonna strain this into a glass, and then we're gonna float heavy cream on top. Hola, you're quarantining.
Yeah. I'm gonna need you to move out. Thanks. That, of course, was Heather Lynn, the goddess. And I thought it was pretty funny, so I played it. So to our This Is America, this is going to be a long soundbite, but it is the media, once again, in the same vein we've seen under Obama, under Clinton, whenever there's a scandal that it doesn't matter the, the severity of it, it's just partisan politics. You'll hear literally Andrea Mitchell, a supposed news lady, Talking about protecting Schiff. CNN playing it off. But what Catherine Heritage put out. This is some damning shit. This literally makes water Watergate look like nothing. And I can use that analogy. Because for three years. We were told everything Trump's done. That is equated to nothing. Is bigger than Watergate. But. The amount of people who are part of the Flynn uncovering shows the entire Obama administration was what we always thought. They used political power in ways that was not entailed by the founders and got away with crime because of a complicit media who was too busy jerking off to his greatness. This is America. Don't get you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. This is America in 2019. I got the strap. As for the journalism involved in the pursuit of that story, the collusion narrative that we lived with for so very long before it was blown up in the Mueller report, it was the worst journalistic fiasco of my now more than 50-some years in journalism. It was a, it was a disaster. And you look, look at what uh, the editor of the New York Times, Dean Baquet, said about it. He said he'd, he had set up his whole newsroom, his whole journalistic operation was to cover that story. And it ended up, you know, going nowhere. It was a, it was a terrible uh, journalistic misjudgment, and it was rooted in their view, in my opinion, it was rooted in their view of Donald Trump that when this charge arose, they thought so little of him that he was such a terrible person that it had to be true. And the Washington Post and the New York Times pursued it relentlessly. Um, their coverage did not reflect any real doubt that it, you know, that it might not turn out to be to be true at any time. And in the end, it all blew up. Um, you would think they'd learn. Um, they don't seem to learn, though, these journalists who were involved in that. So we know Jim Comey leaked. He leaked to his friend, the professor. He wanted a special counsel. We know that Peter Strzok leaked. Uh, are these people facing 10-year felonies? Well, I think Comey's been, been cleared, which is also what I find ironic. You know, the New York Times wrote this scathing editorial about, about Bill Barr. That's the same Bill Barr that said we're not going to change charge uh, Jim Kobe and, and, and Andy McCabe and Peter Strzok's not been charged with a crime so you know you can't hate Bill Barr when he does the right thing for Michael Flynn and then not comment when he does that for Comey, McCabe and Strzok I mean you, you, you it's the same Bill Barr yeah. you, you know you can't just pick well, and we'll choose see. when you when you respect him 
We'll see when John Durham comes out with his report. Does this go all the way up to President Obama, in your view? That's what Sidney Powell just told us two minutes ago. You know, Marie, I'm going to defer to her for sure. He knew about it. But I would caution Republicans, you've got Comey, Brennan, Clapper, McCabe, Strzok. If that's not enough for the executive branch... Uh, to be embarrassed. I mean, it doesn't have to go all the way up to the president. Those are some pretty senior level folks that we trust. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah. ma'am. That's up there. The former head of the CIA, John Brennan. All right, real quick, you talk about the media having culpability as well. Name some names of those reporters out there, those media institutions that helped Adam Schiff peddle this in plain sight collusion nonsense that he said for three years. Well, I hope you have a three-hour show. I mean, let's just start with Politico and anyone not named Rachel Bade. She was the only reporter that I dealt with that was fair. Kyle Cheney, um is just an acolyte for Adam Schiff. Manu Raju okay. from CNN. Nothing Schiff wanted out made public. No leak was too low for Manu Raju and CNN. Unbelievable. Fill in the blank All of the right, New York we'll Times. Leave it there. Now, before I let you go, I want to say a bit of what Leader McConnell had to say about former President Obama, because we've heard uh, first from President Trump and now from Leader McConnell uh, some surprising comments about a former president. Let's watch. Well, I think President Obama um, should have kept his mouth shut. You know, um, we know he doesn't like much this administration is doing. That's understandable. But I think it's a little bit classless, frankly, to... uh, critique an administration that comes after you <laughs> well so you know that was on trump tv with laura trump the daughter-in-law but i just want to ask you what you well, think about the way this. president obama is being described it's ridiculous it's ridiculous he has been very restrained they're coming up with these ridiculous conspiracy theories on obama and uh, chairman johnson wants to uh go uh, after biden and this hunter uh, biden um conspiracy theory which came from the russians of all people this is amazing to me what alternative universe do they live in spending their time on discredited conspiracy theories against obama against biden the acting DNI, Rick Rennell, going after Democrats, going after the Obama administration, resurrecting the whole unmasking issue, the president accusing former President Obama of the greatest crime ever. Uh, what's going on here? There's also a Wall Street Journal editorial against you as well, against the Adam Schiff transcripts, as they put it. They want to distract attention. Uh, they want to create some kind of a counter-narrative that, no, it was actually Obama committing crimes, not Donald Trump. Uh, it was all the Obama administration of figures. It was Adam Schiff. It was Hillary that must have colluded. It was Obama that must have been, uh, you know, committing unethical acts uh, instead of Donald Trump. They believe that this shows a plot to bring down President Trump's incoming administration. What they don't show is any of that. My take on this is that this is a 100% contrived scandal. Speaking of red flags, Rick Grinnell, a political, um, staunch political supporter of Donald Trump. How much of all of this is now about politics? I think politics plays a huge role. This is absolutely 100% Politics. This is the pig pen strategy. Just throw up as much dust as you can. Procedures weren't bypassed. 
Rules weren't broken. All of the rules were followed. These documents don't show any political motivations. The Trump administration trying to exact revenge on enemies. It doesn't show us that anybody who shouldn't have had access to this information was getting access to it. We lived through this in 2016 with how the president tries to smear and use innuendo against his opponents. In the current environment, given what's going on in the country, I think is really a disgraceful uh, abuse of the declassification system. What does it say to you that the president, who's been in office now for more than three years, uh, that he's still obsessing over President Obama? And President Obama is a favorite pinata, if you will, for the current president of the United States because it stokes up his base. It could be nefarious, and that's what troubles me and the pattern we see with this administration. Sadly, that is You don't hear that for every other thing they've said about Trump, do you? I mean, this is a thesis. I say it all the time. If I was going for my master's, this would be my presentation. It is perfect media bias. Catherine Heritage, or Heritage, or whatever the fuck her name is, shared the list, declassified by Richard Grinnell, a personnel submitted unmasking request that would have identified Flynn. While it's important to note that the individual on the list did not necessarily see the information identifying Flynn as the subject, they did request it. Scoop. CBS News attains Richard Grinnell notification to Congress to classified unmasking list Flynn between late 2016 and January 2017. Read three pages provided by NSA. Doug Powers, January 5th, 2017. Chief of Staff to the President of the U.S., Dennis McDonough. Catherine Heritage, blah, 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 blah. David Hearsay, Samantha Powers was a very busy UN ambassador. Chuck Ross, the request under Biden's name was made on January 12, 2017, which is the same day that the Flynn Kislyak call info was published by WAPO. Obama Chief of Staff Dennis McDonough made the request on January 5th. <clears throat> Steve Guest, I know nothing about these moves to investigate Michael Flynn. Washington Examiner, breaking. Joe Biden and other officials in the Obama administration received unmasking information on General Flynn. RBE pundit, Joe Biden caught lying. So names on this list, Clapper, Biden, Comey, John Haywood. I haven't seen this many smoking guns since the last time the battleship Missouri flied. Chuck Schumer, the politicization of the courts is a serious threat to our democracy and undermines the rule of law. A sitting federal judge should not be members of the political organizations like the Federalist Society, period. People reply, shutting down freedom of association to protect the Constitution or something. Here's Democrat Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer attempting to shred the First Amendment and freedom of associations. This is a guy protecting people that shredded the rule of law to get a scapegoat and get Russia started to take down a president. And after two and a half, three years of investigation, they found nothing. Andrew Bates, scoop. Catherine Heritage is a partisan right-wing hack who is a regular conduit for conservative media manipulation ploys because she agrees to publicize things before contacting the target asked for a moment. First reply, Joe Biden's official response from the Biden campaign. Biden campaign attacking CBS reporter is a great journalist who's respected in the industry and has won awards for her work. Sad to see Biden campaign stoop so low. This is chilling. 
You're putting journalists' lives in danger, Stephen Miller says, because that's what they've said for three and a half fucking years. Pradeep Shakur. Why is the Biden campaign attacking the free press? I thought that was bad. Trump-like even. I'm sure Brian Seltzer will take the time as a media reporter and get on this blatant attack on journalism from the Biden staffer, Derek Hunter. Remember all those journalists got their panties in a wad with Senator McSally called Maju Raju a liberal hack? Remember how they rushed to his defense? How many will rush into Catherine defense after this attack from the Biden campaign? Any? Joe Biden? Didn't think so. Kellyanne Conway. This is unbelievable and disappointing from high-ranking officials and sore losers. Many of the two-faced unmaskers repeatedly lied on TV and elsewhere while stating under oath the truth of no evidence of collusion conspiracy. Rich Grinnell is a brave and patriotic hero. Glenn Kessler, read the fine print Kellyanne polls. While the principles are identified below, we cannot confirm the principles saw it. Kellyanne Conway, read the big print in Washington Post for the past three years, Glenn Kessler, and at least wince or blush. If you can't apologize or at least get a grip, your paper incessantly accused a campaign I managed of colluding with Russia to win. Time to fact check the Biden crew, Obama Biden crew. If only there were some type of highly funded journalistic outlet with the access to powerful people that might be able to find out. Nothing to see here, says Resistance Media. And that's exactly it. If this was about Trump, they would find out of the principle, but they're not even reporting on it. Other than these names came out, done, nothing to see here. Derek Hunter, there's some famous journalistic curiosity and drive we hear so much about from them. We just don't know, and no, we aren't going to bother asking. This is the problem when all your sources are people implicated by the truth. They tend to go silent when facing charges. Maybe someone should ask Brenner, Clapper, Powers, Biden about it during one of their endless hits on CNN or MSDNC. Or should we just let the facts go unchecked, Washington Post fact-checker? Blake News. The list of names who asked to unmask Flynn include former Vice President Joe Biden, raising the immediate question of whether declassification is being used as a political weapon in the 2020 campaign. Stephen Miller. What an artful tweet. And once again, when I do Stephen Miller, it's not the official on the Trump administration, it's red states. What an artful tweet. Includes hints of pouncing and weaponizing. Masked work, really. Yes, that's the lesson here, that declassification is being used as a weapon in 2020. That's a story. Nailed it. Not at all missing the fucking point. Obama and Dems are doing nothing about this, but calling it partisan. And the media will not look at it at all. When the inverse would be huge. I pair that with the special elections that came down. And before we start, I'm not a Republican. I'm bashing the media. 538 story on May 11th. Two special elections on Tuesday could hint at another blue wave in 2020. Pollsters were all saying it. The media was saying it. Obama and Dems go kerplunk. Tom Tiffany wins in Wisconsin. 
Mike Garcia leading in California 25. It was a big night for Republicans in Wisconsin, California with a special election win in Wisconsin 7 and a big league in California 25. First up, Wisconsin, where Tom Tiffany scored the victory. Tiffany will replace Representative Sean Duffy, who retired. Jeff B. Fighting the COVID was his Twitter handle. The Tiffany victory in Wisconsin 7, replacing Sean Duffy, retired, is nearly as high as Duffy's incumbent re-election in 2018 when he got 60% of the vote. For some perspective, these used to be Dave Obies and voted Obama 56-43 in 08. Tom Tiffany, thank you for everyone who helped me. Tricia Zunker, thank you to everyone who supported this campaign. That wasn't the result we hoped for, but I'm proud of the campaign we ran. We showed what could be done, and we laid the groundwork for the seat to turn blue in November. Ben Winkler, our statement on the 7th Congressional District election, the GOP margin appears to have shrunk by at least some points relatively to 2016. Despite a huge push for Team Trump, Tricia Zunker ran a terrific campaign. See how they get to spin it? And the media lets them spin it. Whereas Republicans would be like, whoa, this should have, there's supposed to be a blue wave. For Mike Garcia in California, Kirk A. Beto, in a call with supporters, Mike Garcia says the returns are looking extremely encouraging tonight and hope to declare victory very soon in the California 25 race. Who knows when that might be with all the VBM ballots tricking in. Dave Wasserman, if Mike Garcia lead over Christy D. in California holds, the chance looks pretty good it will. He'll become the only House Republican from a district Hillary one with more than 50% of the vote. Greg Price, the big lesson here, don't bang your employee, Garcia's statement. Mike Garcia, my statement on tonight's election results, but Smith isn't conceding. Statements from Christie from California, I'm extremely grateful for the support our campaign has received from every corner of the district. The outcome of this race remains too early to call. Yeah, that's what they always say. Carrie Pickett, a little history. GOP Republican Buck McKean held the seat for 11 terms before retiring in 2015. Representative Steve Knight held the seat for two terms until Democrat Kitty Hill flopped in 2018, aided in part by massively outraging Knight with the help of Bloomberg PAC. Dave Wasserman again. Republicans are poised to pick up the first House seat in California since 1998, but it could be short-lived. Higher turnout could help Dens win it back in November. Clinton won the district in 2016. Political polls. Clinton won the district by seven points in 2016, and Kelly Hill won by nine. Right now, Mike Garcia is leading 55.7 to 44.3, but she won't concede. The Hill. Oh, and then there's this prediction. And that was the prediction I read. It was all supposed to go blue. It pairs perfectly with Flynn. Because every fucking election we've had, if a damn one, CNN, MSNBC, NBC, ABC, and CBS would run with it in uh, elections that pretend to what will happen in November, Democrats swept this, that. Trump won these districts by 20% last time. Blah, blah, blah. When these went down, I don't have a CNN soundbite. They didn't cover it. You know why? Because it doesn't fit with the agenda. The agenda in election year is to say blue A, blue A, blue A, blue A, blue A, blue A, whenever the president is a conservative and try to push the electorate 
once again, manipulate the electorate with the concept, you don't need to vote, you can't win. Two weeks ago, Biden was beating Trump by 20. Now he's winning by 7. You watch how quick the COVID push changes. You watch the media start turning. Because I think they overthought what they could use. COVID's not going to bring Trump down. And if that's what you think, based on Russia and impeachment, you went with COVID, your inner polls must not be very good, Dems. Because why would you run with COVID? Why? Majority of Americans are not going to pin it on a president. They're not going to say it's the president's fault. New York might. Washington might. People in California Bay Area might. But those people weren't going to vote for Trump anyway. You're talking heartland, normals, non-affiliates, independents. And as I've seen of late, I don't find articles about independents at all. And what are we right now? Uh, June, July, August, September, October. We're six months out off an election. In 2016, that's all you read. Independence. 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 Clinton leads with independence. Because that's who decides elections. I mean, if you go with what Pew Research says... 37, 36? I think think the last time was like low, upper 30s for people who identified as Democrat and Republic. The rest were non-affiliated. Or people like me, conservative leaning. Yet every poll we get, they inflate the Dem and decrease the Republican and make sure the independents are left-leaning. Because once again, polling and media will push an electorate. I mean, the, the people talk about demos. And the demographic of America doesn't aid well to Republicans. Because the Democrats have done a really good sh- job since Jim Crow. Flipping that it's the Republican Party that fucks over people of color. Gays and minorities. Even though... <clears throat> the KKK was formed by the fucking Democrats. All the fucking Jim Crow laws were Dixie Democrats. It was Democrats who did it. I mean, for fuck's sake, it, Republicans, I don't understand the way they don't go back to fucking Lincoln days. Because the Democrats do it. It was Republicans that fixed it. Not Democrats. And when they did do big things, it may have been a Democratic president, but it was Republicans that voted for it. So they've done a great job of flipping off their racist origins and making everybody think this party's racist. But when you take it off with Google, Facebook, Twitter, and our media, how do Republicans win? Unless you watch Fox News 24 hours a day, all you get is anti-Republican coverage. All you get is Democrats are the party of progress and moving forward 
and America. And if you are a conservative, you're a Nazi racist who's throwing grandma off a cliff. But that's how bad Democrats are. Their policies only cater to small demos, but the rest of the country, fuck you, you're white. That shows how bad they are. Really. I mean, not being, I'm not a Republican. I'm just saying that's how bad they are. Because everything is lined up for them to win. Google knows they can push an electorate up to 9 to 12 points. Just with their search algorithms. We had that on the show a long time ago. They admit it. They know it. Because, if anything, it's gotten worse because they've doubled down to you can only get liberal responses off Google. And then you have Facebook that only censors conservative and Twitter that only censors conservative and CNN, MSNBC, and the major networks who only push liberal causes. They should never lose. But they do. So that's our This is America. Two things that dovetail perfectly that our media is garbage. So this wraps up another episode of Flyover Politic Podcast. Please share this with family and friends. Send comments to F-O-P-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Fop Podcast, gmail.com. Get the show on SoundCloud, Podcast Attic, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, and Pocket Cast. Make sure you check out the Facebook page of Fop Podcast and our Twitter account at Fop Tony Reed. Our next podcast will be Crack Day. <laughs> I shouldn't call it that. I got a doctor's appointment the 19th. I'll do it in the afternoon. Another good update on how things are going in specialty clinics because, once again, we're opening up in my state, so there's the uh, specialty clinics will be interesting if I still have to stay in my car or if I don't. Make sure you spend time with your family. Disconnect from your devices. Don't give the yeah yes. And tune back in Tuesday. For a short version, it'll be a shorter podcast of the show, and then we'll do a long one on Friday. As always, my friends, thanks for listening, and take care. Thank you for listening to Flyover Politic Podcast. Please check out our Facebook page at FOP Podcast and Twitter account at FOP Tony Reed. Remember, it's a short ride. Makes every day count. Shine as that is criminal and broken.